Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know who their cleanup hitter is? It's Carlos Santana. <laughs> the guitarist? Carlos Santana leads it off. The other way by Santana could be trouble, and it is. Fair ball. And a leadoff opposite field, two-base hit for the veteran. They've got Carlos Santana, not the guitarist, who's going to be in the lineup batting cleanup for them the majority of this series. That is not a place that you want to be in as a team. Bouncing ball off the glove of Arenado. This will score McCutcheon. And Santana, a little bit of a stumble around first, but he'll get into second with an RBI double and a 1-0 Pirates lead. Yeah, nice job right there, Carlos Santana again. He is a run producer in that situation. Cha-ching! And raise the Jolly Roger. The Pirates shut out the Cardinals in St. Louis to begin this road trip. I'm mad at the Cardinals today, Alex. I'm mad at the St. Louis Cardinals. You know why? They made us play that guy. That bleeping guy, the Pittsburgh Pirates play-by-play broadcaster. I'm not even going to learn the gentleman's name. By the way, that audio courtesy wow. of AT&T Sportsnet up in Pittsburgh. I hate him. The Jolly Roger crap gets to me every time. The studio! I never want to hear that man's voice ever again. And the only time we have to hear it is when the Cardinals lose to the damn Pirates. So I don't want to hear it ever again. Monday, we better not be hearing any of that guy because the Cardinals need to win these next three games against this stupid team. In fairness to the Cardinals, what do you always say, BK? When they go up against ace caliber pitchers on the (laughs) other side, this is what happens. When you take on some of the best in the game, this is what happens to offenses. It's not like other teams have success against Vince Velasquez. Their offenses struggle when you take on a Cy Young candidate pitcher. That's what I was thinking. You know, he looked pretty good last night. I mean, you watch him pitch, you wouldn't think he had a 90 ERA coming in. Now, don't game. ask him about the other 31 and a third innings pitched against the Cardinals prior to this, where he had a 5.8 ERA and he gave up 33 hits in those outings. Let's talk about the Cy Young performance last night. I don't even know what to say anymore. The offense has to be better. I know everybody's getting mad today at Jordan Hicks. We'll get to him. I know everybody's getting mad today at Hennessy Cabrera. We'll get to that. The offense scored zero runs against Vince Velasquez and the Pittsburgh Pirates. They got what they deserved last night. That was a spanking. At some point, this offense has to break through. I can give you all of my nerdy numbers that I want to. I can try to spin this in any way that I want to. Even Ollie Marmel, he was asked yesterday on if this game came down to close plays. And he's done with the excuses as well. You can hear it. 
I just feel like we've continued to say that at some point they have to start falling in, right? Um, they took some good swings on us, and uh, we hit some balls hard right at people. Burleson's first one against the wall in the first, that uh, he continues to take good swings. The one you just mentioned at 110 was a really good swing. O'Neill just missed one. That could have changed the game as well. But, uh, yeah, um, that's not the frustrating part of, of today. I mean, he knows. Hey, these have to start falling. we got to start getting hits. At some point, yeah, it's nice to hit the ball hard. That's great. And I'm totally with him. At some point, you got to show the results. The weird thing, Alex, is it almost feels like last year. And so maybe it wasn't Jeff Albert's fault. Last year, how many times did we talk about, hey, the, the Cardinals, the underlying numbers are all there. Everything's there. Even when you looked at the overall statistics, hey, the, the OPS is there. The WRC plus nerdy numbers are there. OPS plus, everything's there. But then you look at the back of the baseball or the, the the schedule, you look up and down, the run scored, and it's not always there. It's super inconsistent. And early on in this season, it feels like 2022 redo. And so I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't be mad today because last night was that was the first time all season where I have joined in the chorus with everybody else and said, this is unacceptable. This cannot happen against that specific opponent. Yeah. And. I have gotten to the point now where, you know, we spent the first chunk of the season sitting there and saying, they can't be this bad. It can't be this bad. And we've seen the positive signs. Like we saw it against the Toronto Blue Jays. We saw it in a couple of games against the Colorado Rockies. But you know, another team that we just recently did that with this season, the Blues. And I was the one saying that at the beginning of the year when they shut out the Edmonton Oilers and then they went on that losing streak. I said, they can't be this bad. They can't be this bad. And you know what? They actually were that bad. And it's really, and look, I, I I hate jumping into the panic bus, and I know I'm not sitting here saying that the whole season is a lost cause and get used to missing the playoffs. That's not what I'm saying with the Cardinals. Are you saying they're trading Jack Flaherty at the Probably trade deadline? Probably going to make all those trades. Well, as Vic told us earlier this week, they're just not that good. But I am starting to question this team in the sense of what I thought at the beginning of the season, I no longer can sit here and say, yeah, they can fight for that top two spot in the national league. Yeah. They could be a 95 win team. I feel like you might have to start changing your mindset and saying, is this more the team that they are not in terms of getting shut out by Vince Velasquez? That's trash, (laughs) but are they an inconsistent group? And is inconsistency going to be the narrative of this season for the Cardinals? Because when your offense is hitting, Guess what? Your pitching has given up seven, eight runs. But when your pitching's locked in like Jordan Montgomery last night, your offense gets two hits against Vince Velasquez. And let's make this very clear. Last night was not about the pitching. And we'll talk about it. But the, the headline from last night, offense goes cold again. That was the number one reason why they lost that game. You lost that game because your offense didn't show up. Your pitching did enough to get you that win. If the Cardinals allow five runs this year, they should have an opportunity at a minimum to win the game. They didn't have an opportunity last night. They had a chance to make it close with that inning where they had the bases loaded once again and couldn't come through again. They're now one for 11 when they've got the bases loaded this season. There is also a walk in there. It's been bad. I, I This offense has to start busting through in a way that we have not seen outside of basically that first series of the season. I, I don't disagree with that, but I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to panic on either side still yet. I, I thought last night was just one of those words. Tip your cap. To Vince Velasquez? Yeah, you How get are shut you out. Tipping Guys, your hat you to don't Vince remember Velasquez. Last year, I went back and looked. So this team got shut out. I think it was 15 times last year. When they were playing well in the second half, they got shut out by the Washington Nationals. Guys, the Washington Nationals but were the worst that, team in baseball last year. And they got shut out had? in September. That team had last year 
Pujols a sweep in the wild card round. Arenado. Everyone else was uncertainty. I understand that this lineup is deeper than that lineup. There's just weird. It's just going to happen. That was one of those games to me. You just tip your cap. And also that bullpen that they have. Their bullpen's decent in Pittsburgh. So, look, I'm I'm not sitting here and telling you you should be sunshine and lollipops. But I don't think you should be going... This offense stinks. Our pitching sucks. We're, we're not going to be a 91 team. We're going to lose the Central. You're no, doing, we're not there yet. You're doing the equivalent of tipping your hat to the Arizona Coyotes when they shut the Blues out 5 nothing in the season. Yeah, if, That's they, did what you're it, if doing. they did it early in the year, not when they got shut out Doesn't in January. You, you did it in the year. If we're talking about this game in July, yeah, I'd be freaking the blank out right now. BK got on the air yesterday and said, we are back, boys. Yeah, I know. BK was celebrating. Now, now he walks in the offense. He's like, he's, oh, you guys know I'm down. a roller coaster of emotions with this team. You know how it goes. <laughs> are we new to this? We've been doing the show for, what, three years now? Yeah. You're just now re- realizing that I go up and down. down. <laughs> I never do. Fine. I stick to the same statement Birdland all along. Is fine. There is no need to panic last night. That was just one of those games where you tip your cap and then they came in and shut the door with their bullpen. They should win three or four in this series. They should win the next three. Yes, they don't. That's going to be disappointing. Last night, just one of those games for me. I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to panic. Now there were underlying things in that game to look at, like the pitching, which we'll get into. Contreras continuing to struggle, but I'm not worried about this team's offense as a whole. I think they're going to have the breakthrough moment soon. I agree with T-Bone, but I'm also getting frustrated watching this team because the offense should be getting better results than this. Last night, you finished 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position. 0 for 9. It's Vince Velazquez, man. At some point, you've got to show results. I need to see this team come through in big spots. And it's becoming, and I I have pushed back against this for so long. And guys, I don't know how much longer I can do it. I don't know if I have it in me. I don't have the gumption anymore. Come on, weaklings. Toughen up here and stand strong. (laughs) For the last four years, basically since the 2019 NLCS, People have said this team just can't come through in the big moments. They've had, I think it's, don't check my math on this, 17 different hitting coaches in that stretch, three different managers in that stretch, and 150 players in their lineup in that stretch. But it seems like one thing that remains true is that when the runners are in scoring position, they're not coming through. And I don't know how that gets fixed. I don't know if that gets fixed, but it needs to get fixed. Because this team, when you look at the overall numbers this season, man, the offense looks pretty darn good. If this was like, if we replace the Cardinals with the Guardians and you replace the Guardians with the Cardinals and we were just looking up and down on baseball reference and we're like, hey, man, look at what Cleveland's done so far this season. They're batting 276 as a team. They've got a 350 on base percentage as a team, 115 OPS plus as a team. They're only striking out 20% of the time, walking 10% of the time. And they've got 16 home runs on the year. That's pretty damn good. Look at what Cleveland's doing. Those are the Cardinals numbers. But when we're watching it night to night, it doesn't feel like that. There's a feel to watching these games that when they get into a big spot, I feel anxious. I feel nervous. The one time where they were able to break through with that recently was the Arenado double. The Gorman two home runs over the last couple of days. But in general, when they get into those big time spots, I expect that ball by Tyler O'Neill to be caught at the wall. 
I expect them to find a way to not bring in the bases loaded situations. And that is something that has to get fixed because it almost feels like they know it too. And it's been a trend with the runners in scoring position. And that is the bigger concern. I think 0 for 9, you mentioned it, the big hit there, BK. I mean, you go down the list, Nolan Gorman, who we were talking so much praise for yesterday. Now, I know a lot of this was because of the bases loaded situation he had late in the game, but... And he hit that hard, but yeah. again, it's the theme of the, the season. They're hitting the ball hard, and it's not giving them the results. Five guys for. left on base for Gorman. Three guys left on base for Tyler O'Neill. Three left on base for Nolan Arenado. Like, that's the trend that is, as much as I want to say, yeah, it is the first week of the season or the early portion of the season, and it gets deeper into the season when you really start to get concerned. But, man, when it's the same narrative, when the, when the losses happen, it's the same narrative. You're not getting hits with runners in scoring position. And, frankly, even the best teams that go through bad ruts always find ways to have success in that area. And you know what's crazy? The top seven players in your lineup again yesterday all got on base at least once. Every single one of them. All, all The top seven players. This is a very talented lineup. I'm just waiting for them to produce the way that the name suggests that they should. And that's what is growing frustrating for me is watching it night in, night out, not click the way that you expect it to. And to your point on the Blues comparison, Alex, that's where it really, I think, locks into place for me, where that Blues lineup, you looked at it going into opening night and you're like, and this should be a pretty good, at least goal scoring team. And then early on in the season, they weren't scoring enough goals. Jordan Cairo started really slow. Ryan O'Reilly couldn't find the right partner. And... I, I can't explain why that was for the Blues other than David Perron wasn't there. And that just, like, it messed them up for whatever reason. The chemistry wasn't there. I don't think the Cardinals have that player that was taken out of their lineup that they're just missing all of a sudden. People are going to point to Albert. They're going to point to Yachty. I think the guys that you replace them with should be nearly as productive, if not more so, than what they were last year over the entirety of the 162. But Wilson Contreras ain't hitting so far this year. And... I mean, Gorman has been awesome. So I, I don't know. I can't explain it. I and, really can't. And Wilson Contreras for me, and I know we're going to get into him later. I'm just not as concerned as other people are because I just feel like there's a lot more that goes into what he's trying to accomplish in terms of joining a team as a catcher, as a free agent. There's a lot more pressure that goes into that, and I think he's dealing with some of that. And I still think this is all going to work itself out. I, I think they're going to start hitting with runners in scoring position. I think bad teams don't find a way to bring home the, these runs. I think good teams do it. I think the Cardinals are a good team that, and I know don't, people don't want to hear it, are running into just bad luck. And I, I think it will change. I think the tide will change and everything will be fine. I'm I'm not concerned about them hitting with runners in scoring position, and I'm not going to be concerned for probably another month or so. If it continues then, then I'll start to raise the red flag. The Cardinals so far this year with runners in scoring position as a team are batting 238. They're hitting the ball hard, though. Here are the teams. If you, if you want to be optimistic, here are the teams behind them when it comes to batting average, average with runners in scoring position. Because I think we all agree that these teams that I'm about to say will be good in these spots as the season goes along. The Atlanta Braves are batting 229 in those situations. The New York Mets are batting 215 in those situations. The San Diego Padres are actually the worst team in Major League Baseball so far this year with runners in scoring position That'll batting change. 200 in those spots we all agree my my motto for the first 10 games of the season that'll get that'll get fixed i tend to agree with t-bone that this will get better man you sound more panicky than than ever though i'm just gonna 
sip here, sit here and sip on my coffee. I just hate it when this happens against the bleeping pirates. The pirate Vince Velasquez it's is early, the guy that's man. shutting you down. The pirates oh. don't know they're bad yet. Damn. Once they learn, they won't you allow that to happen you again. You can't hit Vince Velasquez. What do you think they're going to do in the playoffs when they go up against good pitchers? If they can't figure out a way to get to Johan Oviedo today, by, by I'm the way, panicking. Real, it's officially panic it's time. No, no, we it's, don't panic. It's we ama- don't panic yet. It's amazing too. Like from the six one eight, Pirates made some good defensive plays that saved more runs yesterday. That's what I'm saying. Like what? Are, what are we doing? Do you see Bay smack his face off the wall? Yeah, I thought he died for a minute. But, he did make some good. By plays. the way, I do want to point out too. <laughs> Alex said if they can't hit Velasquez, how are they going to hit good pitching? Are we just forgetting how they handled Alec Manoa in the first se- game yes. of the season? Are we forgetting <laughs> about how they handled Kevin Gossman? in his first start as a Toronto Blue Jay, or Chris Bassett You want to go well. to the Atlanta Braves in the Milwaukee Brewers series, too? I mean, they put up six against, I remember who started that game. I think it might have been Eric Lauer, but hey, he's fine. Hey, they, w- they will be fine. They don't, they have hit. How'd that go, huh? Hey, don't tell me about the labor pains. Tell me about the baby. You, you I don't got know it. that reference, okay? I think I had it. I think you I almost got it. there. I think I nailed it. Don't tell me about the labor. Just show me the baby. You're uh, right there. The though. pains that went with labor. That's what I was talking Coming about. Coming up next. Sure. Is it officially time to put up or shut up for Jordan Hicks? And tonight really might be a make or break start for Jake Woodford. We'll talk about it all coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk about Jordan Hicks coming up later today, but we've got to talk about some moves that the Blues just made. Breaking news, they have fired or announced that Craig McTavish and Mike Van Ryan will not return next season. You can make of that what you will. Steve Ott and David Alexander will both be back with the St. Louis Blues. This is according to a release from the team. Alex, this is something we've it's kind of been an open secret that we. it feels like not only us, but fans knew this was probably going to be heading in this direction. I, let's start with Van Ryn, because I don't think Van Ryn is a bad coach. I think he was dealt a tough circumstance this season with the Blues going a different direction with their defensemen. And sometimes somebody has to pay for what was a terrible season when it came to what they did defensively. And I think that's what happened here with Mike Van Ryn. I think everybody saw the results, and it led to, hey, there's got to be somebody that ends up losing their job for this, and that's Van Ryan. I think he's going to get a job somewhere else. I would not be surprised if he goes elsewhere and has a lot of success as a um, defensive coach. McTavish, I, I was confused by the hire from the moment that it was made, to be totally honest, and I, I haven't heard anything from the inside on how it worked, how it didn't work, but I'm not surprised that this is where we're at, but... When you saw this news, Alex, McTavish, Van Ryan, both going to be let go uh, this offseason, they're going to have to replace them. What was your initial reaction? Doesn't surprise me on either of them. And it's unfortunate more for Mike Van Ryan because, I mean, we hear from him every time on Blues broadcasts following a Blues win. He talks with Curbs and Joey. And 
I mean, you can always tell he's never pleased with the performance from defense. So he takes a lot of pride in the way that his defense plays. And, it, you know, somebody had tweeted me when I I tweeted out saying that it's unfortunate for Mike Van Ryan, but he just fell circumstance to a transition into a new identity and personnel of players, and he just was never able to adapt. And somebody said, well, Mike Van Ryan's never been good with the Blues defensively. Had the fifth best defense in terms of goals allowed in the National Hockey League in 2018-2019 when he and Craig Berube took over. And remember, that was a very bad group prior to Berube. So in a half of a season, they moved to the top five. The following season, they were also the fifth best team in terms of goals allowed in the National Hockey League. But 2020, 2021, that's when they started to dip further down. Last year, they weren't great defensively, although some of the numbers looked a little bit better. And then, of course, this season. To me, I read Mike Van Ryan's struggles as... You have Petro and Bomeister and Pareko and Edmondson and Dunn and Gunnarsson, all of these veterans that play a very big, heavy style that have speed and has a long reach that can play well. The following season, it's the exact same. And then, of course, Bomeister's injury happens. Marco Scandella comes into play. What's that next season look like? That next season looks like you've got Tori Krug, you've got Justin Falk. Now you've got Mike Hoffman playing on the forward position. Like you're transitioning into that speed team. And it just felt like Mike Van Ryan was really never able to adapt with that. So I, I believe he's a great defensive coach and I think he will have success elsewhere. But it does seem like the Blues are making this decision saying we got to find somebody who can adapt to the style we're trying to accomplish. Craig McTavish, that was a hand-picked hire by Craig or by Doug Armstrong to bring him in once Jim Montgomery walked. I mean, the man lost his penalty kill duties in the middle of the season and they had to put it on Mike Van Ryn. So that one seemed like it was inevitable after the season ended. And that's going to be the toughest one, I think, to fulfill because that's the type of player that or that's the type of coach like a Jim Montgomery that you're looking for that has a relationship with the players that can be the voice for them, just like Steve Otis. Yeah, it's good cop, bad cop. You, yeah. you need that type of a relationship and there's going to be times where that guy has to be the bad cop, and then Craig Burby comes in and throws his arm around a guy and is the good cop. Like it, yeah. That is a really important spot. It's just like with the Cardinals. We talked about their bench coach, what they had previously with Skip Schumacher, what they were hoping to have with Matt Holliday, and now uh, with McEwing. You need that in hockey as well. So this is a big hire for them to make sure that they get it right. I would also add how much we talked about the special teams this year. These are two spots that you can hire specifically with the belief that they will improve in those two areas. It, I wouldn't be surprised if they hire somebody in at least one of those two roles that has a specialty in one of those two spots, yeah. penalty kill or power play. And that that is something this year after the trade deadline, they were 25th in power play percentage and last in penalty kill percentage. If you can simply improve those two areas and nothing else changes about this team next year, that might be enough to get you to where you're fighting for a playoff well, spot. And as you always say, BK, look at their actions, not their words. Them bringing back Steve Ott tells you that they believe they've got the personnel for the power play because Steve Ott runs the power play. Ford, I, they, they've had Steve Ott take over both roles depending uh, in certain years. Yeah, Mark Savard was the one that did the power play. I think that was that 2019-2020 season following them winning the Stanley and they Cup. And it, then right? they flipped it after Savard left that season and Ott went back to it. So it's one of those. Th I think they just believe Steve Ott's a good coach. Yeah. And well, if you give him a task, he he's going to figure out a way to make it work. So it, that the nice thing about that is it doesn't limit you. Mm -hmm. If you can find a guy, and I don't know who these people are because it trying to figure out who the assistant coaches yeah, are tough. that they're going to be looking at like good luck um but i think that we'll find out whenever they make that hire okay this guy has a history with power play or penalty kill that means steve ott's going to do the other it doesn't limit you in any way whereas if steve ott was just a specialist in 
one of those areas, like maybe it was just the penal or power play that he was great at. Well, now you have to find somebody that's really good at fixing your penalty kill. This allows you to just go go out and get whoever the best guy is for that job. I, I don't know who the names are either. I mean, you could scour other assistant coaches. Really, it just comes down to the relationship that Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong have. There's two areas that you're going to be looking for with these two people. Like you just mentioned, somebody that specializes in either power play or penalty kill because Steve Ott was a great penalty killer just as, as well as he has worked on the power play. But you're also on the defensive side of things. You're going to be looking for somebody who knows how to best utilize small Young, mobile defensemen, Scott Perunovic, uh, Tori Krug, Nick Letty, because if you can't move on from those guys, you've got to get somebody who best utilizes the mobility of these defensemen and finds the way to get the forwards to buy into the system that you want. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, I'm really glad to see that the Blues are shaking things up. That being said, Van Ryan looked like a pretty good coach when we had better players, lesser players now, lesser results. Not surprising to see something like that. Totally agree with all of that. Um, I, I think that it is, if you're a Blues fan, I think today you look at the moves that they've decided to make and you say, I appreciate them being proactive. Absolutely. I, I appreciate them going about this, seeing what the results were this year, and making changes to try to fix that. And also, I don't think this means Mike Van Ryan's a bad coach. I don't think that it meant last year when Jeff Albert decided to go elsewhere that Jeff Albert is a bad hitting coach. Uh, Buddha, when he was let go by the Cardinals, didn't necessarily mean he's a bad hitting coach. He just philosophically didn't fit with what they were doing. He didn't align with what they were doing at the time. Sometimes moves just have to be made. You need a different voice. You need a different structure. You need a different philosophy. And I think that's what's happening here uh, with the St. Louis Blues. So if you missed it, the news of the day, Craig McTavish and Mike Van Ryan will not be back with the coaching staff next year. Steve Ott, David Alexander will be back with the St. Louis Blues. We will continue to keep you updated with any uh, any rumors, any f- uh, potential names that could be floated to replace McTavish and Mike Van Ryan. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get to ask us anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, we're going to be joined by Clint. I think one of the best managers of the last decade, former Rockies and Pirates manager. We'll talk to him about all things Cardinals next here on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll get to ask us anything. 314-399-9646 
is the Air Comfort Service text line. Any questions that you may have, sports or otherwise, we'll get into that coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. But right now, I'm always happy to be joined by Clint Hurdle, the former Rockies and Pirates manager, 2013 National League Manager of the Year. He's joining us now on BK and Ferrario. Clint, we appreciate the time. As always, my friend, how you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you all doing? Uh, doing really well. So I want to start out with a guy that we saw last night here in St. Louis. You were able to manage him in Pittsburgh. Andrew McCutcheon is back with the Pirates, Clint. It feels like the the place that he should be at this point in his career. When you saw that he was going to be making that return, what was your reaction? Oh, I was happy for Andrew and the fans, first and foremost. And I think it was a, a good, positive move by the organization. Um, you know, for the right reasons. They've had, I don't have my finger on the pulse of Bucko Nation now, nor do I the Cardinal Nation. Um, but knowing that the past three years have been very hard and they've tried to grow up a young nucleus, I think they went outside and added some veteran uh, experienced leaders. And Andrew being one of those, I, I thought it was a very, very good move. Clint, from a manager's perspective, how important is it to have those types of players in a clubhouse for the length of a 162-game season? Because the Cardinals, they have their leaders, but they also have a young group of nucleus that's coming up. Well, you know, they're two completely different times and spaces for those two clubs. The Cardinals get five Hall of Famers on their lineup last year, you know, in that clubhouse. So there's plenty of leadership there, probably as much as anybody's ever had. Uh, and they've still got ample leadership. There comes a point in time where young players need a North Star. They need a GPS. Other than the manager and the coaches, <clears throat> they need people that have gone through this and have plowed through some tough times and some challenging times, experienced success, <clears throat> played in the postseason, um, you know, played meaningful games past September. And it does make a difference when there are voices in the clubhouse. And I think we were able to take our turn uh, upwards when we added Russell Martin and A.J. Burnett back in 2013. I mean, those are two guys that, you know, if you invited them to a fist fight, they both have knives in their back pocket. (laughs) Um, They showed younger players, you know, how you go about it, how you show up, how you prepare and they always also showed them how you show up after a game when things don't go well. So there's the professionalism aspect of it. There's the gamemanship aspect of it. And then there's the execution on the field aspect of it. Craig, just as or, um, Clint, just as a follow-up with that, uh, I know you said you don't have the pulse of the Cardinals team, clubhouse, things like that. But you do know the effect of players like Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina, who were on the team last year and, of course, went into retirement this season. From a from a manager's perspective, does the ripple effect have a little bit of a lasting impact for a team like the Cardinals when those two players move on? Well, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I've never been in that situation. I've never had a clubhouse that has going to have five future Hall of Famers. And if it does have a ripple effect, shame on them for letting them have a ripple effect because they've still got three future Hall of Famers in that clubhouse. Uh, And they've taken it upon themselves to talk about the Cardinal way. Well, now it's time to go do the Cardinal way. And there's a new group that needs to step up and and own it and perform and prepare and execute. And, you know, that's just all part of it. So, yeah, it's not easy. You won't replace those guys. And one or two guys aren't going to be able to step in those shoes, but you still have Arenado, you got Goldschmidt, you got Wainwright. Come on, 
you know, you, you got a lot there uh, to pull from, experience to pull from. And that's not to downplay some of the other people that are players that are, that are in that organization. So I would hope not. But, again, I don't know. We're talking to Clint Hurdle, former Rockies and Pirates manager here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Clint, it's been a weird start to the season for this Cardinals team. I I think they're going to be fine. They're 5-8 and on the season thus far. When you were managing, at what point in the season did you feel like you had a pretty good handle on on what your team was going to be? Was there a a mark in the season where you're like, okay, I I feel like we kind of know, for good or bad, what this is going to be? Well, truthfully... I've played enough. I've coached enough. I've managed enough. You don't ever know what's gonna, what the end is going to look like, even at the halfway point sometimes. Because in 07, our halfway point was we were hovering around 500 for five months. And we got hot late. We ended up in a World Series. So if you would ask me what my you know temperature was after 40 games, normally I look at it, I would always have a staff meeting, and usually an organizational meeting, after 40 games. It's like a horse race. It's a quarter mile. You know, it's the quarter post. How are we looking? What areas are we strong in? What areas do we need to improve? Um, how we prioritize things moving forward. And I think we try to keep it simple. Um, you can't have 10 problems. You need to ice. We'd always work in three. What are our three biggest strengths? What are our th- maybe three things we need to keep doing, three things we need to stop doing, and three things we need more of. But we would take it at, take it at the 40 game, the halfway point, three quarters, and obviously the end is, you know, that, that's when you know where you are. For a team, Clint, is, and I know it's so early in the season to be on this side of it, but you know how it goes, especially with Cardinals Nation. Two weeks into the season, if they're struggling, it can be a little bit of a panic mode. If an offense is struggling in the early portion of a season or if a pitching staff is struggling in the early portion of the season, is there one of those two that's more alarming for a manager? Well, good hitting will always get shut down by good pitching. It has for 100-plus years. Good pitching shuts down good hitting. Um, there's no way around it. So, you know, when you're losing the ones and twos, I kind of look at who we're getting beat up by. And if we're, you know, if we're getting beat up by fours and fives, that's alarming. If the ones and twos are shutting us down, we're finding a way against the three, fours, and fives, that's what we got to do. you got to find a way to beat a one and a two on the other side every now and then. When you and I, and I look at it the other side from – our ones and twos, how are they performing? How are you know, two top guys performing and how are the people after them? Um, so I don't know if one's more alarming than the other. Um, based on history, you look at the back of the ball cards for the players. You know, funny thing about we talked about McCutcheon earlier, and I had him from we were together from 11. And I forget when, when they asked him to leave, traded him. But he never had a good April. It didn't matter what kind of spring he had. You can look it up. April was hard. It was always hard. So, you know, you, you don't close the book. Okay, Andrew had a bad April. Andrew's pretty much pretty much going to have a bad, a bad April. We could never figure it out. <laughs> we tried different things, you know, because you don't want to do things the same way and expect a different result. Um, I don't know the personnel well enough um, there, but I would look at, you know, it goes back to me looking at ones and twos and threes and fours and fives on both sides of the ball and seeing who's performing who's not. And if our big boys aren't getting it done, what can we do to help them generate some momentum? Because we need them. You got Your good players need to be good for you to have success. 
the, the funny thing is that used to be the thing with uh, Paul Goldschmidt as well. It's like, ah, Paul Goldschmidt, bad first month of the season. All right, now his season actually begins. And then over the last two seasons, it's like, oh, Paul Goldschmidt, amazing in April. <laughs> so far, he's batting 355 with a 970 OPS. It's it's unbelievable. Uh, Clint, when it comes to hitting specifically with runners in scoring position, I'm not just talking early in the season. I'm curious with your expertise on this. You, you've been around baseball for your entire life. When a team is struggling in that regard, hitting with runners in scoring position, is there anything that you can do as a manager or uh, for your hitting coach to, to slow things down? Like what, what can be done to try to get that corrected? Or is there anything? Well, it's, it's ownership of the players. Now there's things as a manager, you try and be a thermostat, not a thermometer. I didn't mean to tell my guys we're struggling with runners in scoring position. Let's go. Let's pick it up. They knew that. <laughs> It might be, guys, what can we do differently to get better results? Then I'd try and dig into a couple layers. What's the quality of those at-bats with runners in scoring position? Are they just weak outs? Are they pull-side ground balls? Are we getting beat with fastballs, fly balls the opposite field? Try and break it down to give them something to look at and say, okay, here's where we are. How do we get to where we want to go? How do we make better contact? Are we going to start hunting stuff early? Are we going to move up in the box? Just suggest something, doing something different sometimes. Um, the hitting coach probably needs hugs in more than anybody else. You can't beat people up when things aren't going well. That doesn't help. You know, I was at a Little League game <laughs> a week ago. <laughs> Watched one of my buddy's kids play. And there's a kid in the box, and it's the trophy stance. You can see the egg on his left arm, right-handed hitter. He is so stiff and rigid. And it's set up. He's trying so hard, and his dad's screaming behind him from the stands, relax. The kid turns his head back to his dad and goes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, that's kind of where we get in Major League Baseball in those positions. And I just try to find a way to loosen the guys up. I said, hey, you know, truthfully, how are you looking at this? Is the pressure on you? Because I would beg this challenge you. The pressure's on the pitcher. There's three men on base. He doesn't want to make a mistake, you know. Let's let's just be a little let's just be a little calmer. Let's be a little quieter in the box. Let's use our eyes more than our big muscles. So there were things I would offer up, and I try and give them a pat on the back or a smack on the backside. You touch them on the back, you touch them, you smack on the back. It's three foot difference, but both are appropriate at different times. <laughs> <laughs> Clint, I did want to ask you as a follow-up on that. When Clint Hurdle shows up to a little league baseball yeah. game, what's the reaction from those in the crowd? You know, now that I'm 65 years old, they just think it's another old man. <laughs> <laughs> how how do you take in little league baseball? Like, is it hard for you not to evaluate things? You know what? No, it, 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 I just watch, man. I watch. I enjoy. I look for the kids that are smiling. I look for the kids that are having fun. Um, you know, sometimes you got to turn your head the other way with the parents because every parent thinks he's a general manager because there's money involved. They pay money for stuff. So that makes them, that gives them ownership of what's going on. Uh, whether it's Little League, whether I go over to IMG, the high school over here, and watch games all the time for the Rockies. You know, I go up to, I go up watch college games up in Gainesville, and it's, some of it's different, and some of it that never changes no matter what parts you're in or what size the players are. Final question. We'll get you out of here on this, Clint. Thanks so much for the time today, as always. Uh, there have been a million different rule changes this year in Major League Baseball. I, I don't need to specify them for you. I'm sure you've seen it all in play. How do you like them so far? Is there anything in particular that stands out to you, either in the positive or the negative? 
10 years ago, I would have thrown my hand up in the air, red flags all over the place. You know, don't change the game. It's work. I, I would have had all my arguments in a row. Unfortunately, uh, the game got twisted. Um, I think, you know, the analytics involved are very beneficial in some areas. And I think they've taken us down some rabbit holes we didn't need to go down. So I think the corrections that are made now are good for the game. I'm all I'm a fan of the game. I, I never want, thought I'd want to see a, a pitch clock. However, if you look at the rule book, even 20 years ago, there was a, they, they talk about pitching efficiently, pitching, you know, managing your time. The upstop doing it. The batters are the worst offenders. The pitchers, you know, they're also slow. When you throw money at everything, everybody slows down because nobody wants to make a mistake. So the pitch clock has helped. <laughs> we couldn't beat the shift, so take it away. No shift. More hits, more runs, more action. I'm a fan of all that. The one I still have trouble swallowing, digesting, and probably never will be comfortable with is the ghost runner at second base once extra. That, that one just doesn't work for me. Here's my constitution. You and our, our producer, yeah. our producer hates that one as well. Tanner he was fine with it in 2020 that. when we were doing the COVID stuff and all of it was fake. Nobody knew the rules and we ended up playing a 60 game season. But since then, he's like, no, not, not interested in that. Everything else he's OK with, though. Clint, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Uh, we look forward to c- catching up with you anytime you're available for us. And hopefully we'll do it again soon. Oh, thanks, guys. Keep pumping that pump. If you think there's well in the water, keep pumping the pump. The water will come. Appreciate you. Thanks, Clint Hurdle, joining us here on 101 ESPN. I think there is water in the well, Alex Ferrario. Other than the part where he said, well, the concerning part is when you aren't hitting against the four fives in the rotation and you're, you're, if you struggle against the one and twos, that's okay. You're supposed to, but when you struggle against the four fives. Velasquez is their one, okay? okay. It's fine. They're one on any other team. He'd be their seven. He was one of their best off-season acquisitions outside of cuts. Just like uh, Herman Marquez. And who was that lefty that they went up against that they've never seen before that they struggled against? Tanner, I can't tell if you're serious. He's absolutely serious. He's a true number one for Pittsburgh. Yeah. He Behind started that in game guy. three. Uh? <laughs> Their first series. Hey, Steven start. Jake Woodford started fourth for the Cardinals. He's not our number four. Use that kind of knowledge. He, He's not. Matches is our four. I can't. I can't. Michael's in our eighth, but he started no game hurt, one. Man. Yeah. Jake Woodford was their number no, six. What, I, what I'm saying is that the timing doesn't necessarily matter of when they start. Yeah, but Jack if Wayne started wasn't hurt, Wayne would have been starting game one. Michael is two. Montgomery, three. Matt's would have been your five. All right, I'm calling Clint back. He'll put you guys in a line. He literally said it. Nah. <laughs> And Clint are on the same I think page. Clint would have agreed that, <laughs> hey, Vince Velasquez, don't lose to him. He fits into the latter category. Uh, that Dodd character that they lost oh, to. Yeah, that was the lefty. Don't lose against him. Who was the, the elder? Something elder? Bryce Elder? The kid that's from here? Tanner, Elderly? explain to me how all of these guys are number ones. Well, I don't know about the Dodd. Kid, Just like Herman Marquez, right? Baseball's weird, man. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, it is. Uh, he did mention something else I wanted to get to real quick, and we'll get to ask us anything on the other side. He said, I always at the 40-game mark. Let's do this real quick at the, this mark for the season. Uh, obviously, it's not quite 40 games for the Cardinals. But it's not? I put together the three things that we do well, the three things that we don't do well, and that, that need to get corrected. For the Cardinals right now, what would you say are the three things that they do well? Hit for power. Do um, that consistently? Well, no, they don't do anything well consistently, considering that you're four games below 500. Um, but when they do... They do it well. Um, I would say they 
pitch well in late in games with Helsley and Verhagen. Are you trying to come up with three? I mean, I'm no, I'm struggling with two right now. I'm trying to like do this like brain operation right now. I think the infield defense is good. When they've got their starters in there, the infield defense has been really good. Okay. If we're going to put our head on that, then this list is going to suck. I think that I think the other two are healthy in the outfield. Your outfield defense is good. We haven't seen that yet, though. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I I think it's tougher to come up with than I would have originally expected. Now, let's do what And that's why I wanted to bring it up, because, like, when we bring up the three things you do poorly, we could bring up 12 things right now that they're doing poorly. When you think about the three things they're consistently doing well, it's hard to come up with three. And I think that speaks to where you're at as a team right now at five and eight overall. But it also speaks to we're not going to famous last words. I know we're not going to be saying that all year long, even with the blues when they were struggling early on in the season. It was like, hey, what do they do? Well, I'm not totally sure. Eventually, we got there. The Blues scored a lot of goals this year. They were a very good goal scoring team. Now, they also had three things that they did really poorly. They had like nine things they did really poorly. But you could at least get a list of three things that they did well eventually. And then it became a question of, are those three things they do poorly just Achilles heels for them? And they were. For the Cardinals, I we'll see. We'll find out if that ends up being the case. But I do think that we are eventually going to get to a place sooner rather than later where you have those three things locked in that you do well on a night-to-night-out basis. There's... I think your defense will be good on the infield uh, specifically. I think it will be better in the outfield. And I think you will have a late game situation like you said Alex where you feel really good about your seven eight nine innings yeah. uh reliever wise and I think you will hit for power consistently throughout the year they do really well There's with not there yet. certain guys dogging it on the base paths no that's one of our not, um, that's not a strength of ours <laughs> question for you on that I almost did bring up base Tyler running. O'Neill's double last night when you were watching that were you like are you serious dude well he wasn't <laughs> gonna make it to third and he was like well this guy's gonna slow play it so I'm gonna slow play it yeah I didn't have I didn't have a problem with it yeah. but he was dogging it I didn't hear anything it. coming up next you're on 101 ESPN we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and Auto centers on 101 ESPN you've got questions we may have the answers maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at insperity.com. Six four six is the air comfort service tax line for ask us anything. We'll get to your questions here in just a moment. But Alex, what did you mention to me during the break about the flames? What's going on in, in Calgary? So uh, problems in Calgary. Surprise, surprise. A team that's what? probably going to be firing their head coach and a team that's missing the playoffs. So Pat Steinberg, friend of the show, who's been on. He's their pre and post game guy. This is uh, he's been tweeting out comments from the locker room. Mikel Backlund about resigning with the Flames this summer. Quote, I'm 34 years old. I want to win the cup. I don't know about that here. Elias Lindholm asked about starting contract negotiations. <laughs> Quote, we'll see what happens. I have one year left. Um, might be some trades going on with Calgary. I still believe, and I said this on post game last night, Doug Armstrong will be the most interesting general manager come July 28th for the trade or the uh, draft. Calgary and uh, Brad Trey living might be number two because they're going to be wheeling and dealing this offseason. I will say it until I am blue in the face. Mackenzie Weger makes so much sense for the Blues. Yeah, he has always made so much sense for the Blues. He is an excellent defenseman. He can play the right or the left side, depending on where you need him. He is 29 years old. 
and he is he, for his entire career has been an extraordinarily productive defenseman, including this year in in Calgary. I would say it was a step back from what he was down in Florida, but a good player nonetheless. You get better by adding that guy. Now, I don't know how the Blues make it work. He's at $6.25 million, and he has, what, six years on his contract? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, they eight signed, years, eight yeah, years they on signed him to an eight-year extension. So it's a long-term deal. He does have a no-trade clause. There's a lot that goes in. But if Calgary starts making moves and they decide, you know what, it's time to blow it up, we got to go the other direction because we tried to make this thing work last year, and it didn't. That is the guy that I would be targeting if I'm Doug Armstrong. Him? Oliver Shillington is the other one. And I mentioned him earlier this week or last week. He didn't play this season for some personal reasons. Uh, he essentially is a smaller stature, but a power play specialist defenseman who was playing in their top pair last season when they went on that run in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So uh, Mackenzie Weger, absolutely. I know everybody's texting in saying, Elias Lindholm, give me that Lindholm. You're not going to get him unless you're giving up either a Cairo or a Buchnevich. Um, but at that point, you would also need to re-sign him. Mm-hmm. And you're probably at that. If you did that move, re-signing Lindholm, you're picking him over Buchanan, yeah, which I am not willing to. And do. he's going to be 30 years old by the time you're a free agent. Yeah. And I don't know if you want to be doing that right now. So uh, Uyghur or Oliver Shillington. But I-, I got a list of teams that maybe we'll do a Ferrario five next week to keep an eye on when it comes to the trades in the offseason. All right. Some quick hitter style in Ask Us Anything. Alex, do you think that the Blues should reconsider some of the staples at the arena? Power play song, country roads, etc.? It's a new decade. It's a new era of blues hockey. Is it time for some new traditions? Uh, Power play song. I mean, no, people love it there. Country roads. Absolutely. Get rid of that trash. People love it there, though. No, they don't. No, they just sing it because it's on. Yeah, I will die on this, this, this ledge right here. Hill. Ledge. I don't like hills. Whatever. Anybody at that stadium in the third period will sing whatever bleeping song plays over the loudspeaker. And they do it. They sing whatever song that plays. Why does it have to be some stupid song about West Virginia? That's not true. No, it is true. I've only heard them sing West Virginia. Just not true. Now you're just trying to piss me off. So yeah, BK, I would love to change a more upbeat song in the third period when you're trying to close out a victory on home ice than West Virginia, Mount Marble, take me home. Give me a better song, please. Okay. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for (laughs) Ask Us Anything. Uh, From the 314, guys, how long do you think it is that the Cardinals continue just writing in Wilson Contreras' name as the five hole? End of this homestand. I I think at the end of the homestand, if you haven't seen improvement, man, he looked lost up there last night. Um, I I don't think if you haven't seen improvement by the end of this homestand, hell, maybe even the end of this series against the Pirates, they're going to have to look to pull him out of the five spot and put him probably – Honestly, in Walker spot around eight and bump up Gorman, who's been playing well, bump up Walker. Honestly, O'Neill's been pretty good of late, too. You can bump up him. But I, I think it's probably to either the end of the Pirates series or the end of the series against the Diamondbacks before they go on the road. All right. Final question here. Uh, this one is from me. Guys, it was just announced Memphis and Missouri will be go- begin a home series in basketball starting next year. It will be in Columbia uh, next season, and then it'll go to FedEx Forum in Memphis in 24-25. I love this idea. For me, having games against KU, Illinois, and Memphis, regional rivalries in the non-con, is like the perfect way to go about your non-con slate. T-Bone, if there was one team you could add to Illinois' non-con slate on an annual basis, who would it be? 
You can see Illinois play any team every year. Who Not would it be? Mizzou oh, no. anymore, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, adding it to that. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think who would be a good kind of. Because for me, Memphis would have been right up at or near the top of the list on teams that I would like to see them play regularly. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's a good like regional rivalry they don't play. Memphis would probably be good up there. Uh, Kentucky, I would put Kentucky up there. I would love to see Illinois play Kentucky awesome. on a regular basis just because it's kind of close and also like it's a good program um, because they they when they've played good teams like Texas was a whole lot of fun when they played them early in the year, but that was at a tournament and that's pretty far away. I think if I had to do just a regional one, it would be Kentucky, a blue blood in basketball. And Illinois wants to be a program that's really good, and that would be a great non-conference game early in the year that could really test you and see where you're at. K-State would be another one that I would add to Mizzou's list. That would be fun, I would love to see them play K-State regularly, especially now that Jerome Tang has that thing going. Your boy from uh, Oral Roberts taking a visit to K-State this weekend. As long as he doesn't doesn't come to Mizzou. Don't need him there. Coming up next. Hey, real quick, there's another Uyghur update. He was just talking with the media. This is what he said. The Flames need a new building. It's not up to today's NHL standards. Not a good start if you're, uh, you know, going to call out your team's building. Man, this is going to be an eight-year deal. (laughs) This is going to be a great offseason, ladies and gentlemen. What does Lars Newbar bring to the Cardinals lineup? Hopefully some ability to hit with runners in scoring position. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. has officially begun his rehab assignment. He was 0 for 4. It wasn't a great start. I'm going to be honest with you. Wow. 0 for 4 with two strikeouts yesterday with Springfield. Now, I do think this is important to note. He was serving as their designated hitter in Springfield last night. The reason why I mention that is because we're not entirely sure he has caught a baseball yet with his bruised thumb. He said that that's really the issue. It hasn't been so much the swing as it is him catching the ball. Feels important given the fact that a lot of his value comes from what he is defensively for you in the outfield. Now, maybe it's nothing and they just wanted to get him swinging first. And then later on tonight, it could totally be announced that he's going to serve as their outfielder uh, down in Springfield. Possible. But it is worth noting that that is the case. Alex, if he is close to a return, and that's how the Cardinals are selling it, is that he could be back as soon as like Sunday, potentially. I bet it would be something more like next week, but neither here nor there. What is Lars Nupar going to bring to this lineup whenever he is able to officially return? I hope more stability in terms of runners in scoring position. And I don't know where they put him in terms of the batting order, because right now it seems to be a mess in terms of you figure it out, but... Do they put him in that two-hole spot? Because he's a guy that if he carries over what he did at the end of the last season and into the World Baseball Classic, he's getting on base, and then you know what the speed can possess. But you hope with a guy like that who has such strong ability at the plate of recognizing the strike zone and recognizing pitches and know when to take the walk and know when to swing, the runners in scoring position uptick takes place there. If he's batting two or maybe he drops them into the five or the six spot, Uh, So that side of it, I hope offensively brings some stability there. And then defensively, when he's ready to go defensively, solidifies that defense too. I mean, I would imagine he's going to go to left field, and then you're going to be looking at a large Newt Bar, Tyler O'Neill, Jordan Walker outfield. Yeah, I I, I think the best thing he's going to provide when he comes back, hopefully, is the defense. So you can kind of solidify this defense. Because right now, 
I think you're below average in all three spots with Burleson, O'Neill, and uh, Walker in right field. I think with Newbar in left, it at least solidifies that left field spot. So I think it's going to be important that defensively, offensively, we'll see what he looks like. I'm always concerned when someone's dealing with a hand injury, what their swing's going to uh, impact. The Cardinals, again, have said that it hasn't been impacting his swing, but we will see. I, I think you're going to see him slide into basically Burleson's spot. I think he's going to go one for one to where. He'll go in left field, and he'll just take Burleson's spot, and he'll hit second in the lineup. I, I think that's what they'll do. Maybe they do get a little bit more creative, and they say, okay, maybe maybe we can get Donovan going a little bit more, even though he had two hits last night. Maybe we drop him down a spot to two so he sees pitches with people fearing Goldschmidt behind him, and we have Lars Newpar lead off. But I, I think he's going to hit top two in the lineup and play left field. And I also hope that he brings a little bit more of a calming presence to that dugout, especially when things are getting tense like they have been in terms of offense when you know you're struggling. That's where I feel like it's beneficial to have a large new bar. So I put together what I would do with the lineup whenever he is able to get back. And the reason why I did this is because I would not have him in left field. I would have him in center. I I know that we have seen some positive signs, at least when it comes to yesterday, specifically with Tyler O'Neill. He did have the home run as well in uh, Colorado. He's he's shown some ability, but defensively, I'm still not comfortable with him in center field. Honestly, just it, it doesn't look right. His sprint speed is not where it needs to be. Katie had a great piece that came out earlier today over on the Athletic, explaining why the Cardinals trust Tyler O'Neill in center field. And like the number one reason that they cited was his sprint speed. And then you look up his sprint speed this season and it's down significantly from what it's been in years past. I would rather see Lars Newpar get an opportunity there. So I would have Lars Newpar actually leading off for me right now. Let's see what it looks like because last year he was a guy that consistently got on base at a really high clip and he was also able to make contact at a pretty decent clip. So you combine those two things I like him batting leadoff. Donovan is six for his last 33. He has 10 strikeouts in that time with one extra base hit. He's struggling at the plate right now. The strikeout is, or the the chase really, is what is coming into his game that I don't love watching right now. I would drop him down in the lineup by a significant degree. And then whenever he's back to being himself, maybe you put him back at the top of the lineup. But for right now, take a little bit of that pressure off of him. I would bump Gorman up to number two as well. Gorman's been seeing the ball so well. I think you can make a case to have that damage coming out of the two hole the way that they did last year uh, with Newt Bar being there at times. We saw Tyler O'Neill there at times and then Goldie Arenado. And then I would bump Burleson down to fifth because he sees the ball so well and he's hitting it so hard consistently right now. He's a guy that I do think can start producing runs for you. He can drive those guys in and he provides a lefty bat behind both Goldie and Arenado. So that would be my one through five. Newt Gorman, Goldie Arenado Burleson. Walker batting sixth, drop Contreras down to seven, Donovan eight, and Edmund nine. Against right-handed pitching, that's the way that I would line it up whenever Lars Newbar is able to make that return. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to line it up, especially because you're getting your two, one that we haven't seen yet, but you would imagine how it ended last season in, in the World Baseball Classic with Newbar leading off. You're putting one of your hottest hitters right now, Nolan Gorman, in front of Goldie and Arenado, who you're going to get some favorable pitches in that spot. I, I, I second... Your lineup decision, BK. That's what I'm talking about. I, I like it, too. I, I just you. don't think the Cardinals are going to do it, oh. though. I, I think for whatever reason, I mean, you just made reference to the piece that Katie had uh, in The Athletic today about Tyler O'Neill in center field. And if there's one guy really glowing about Tyler O'Neill in center field, it was Mo. So I feel like this is one of those where it is, hey, as a front office, we want to see him in center field for a longer stretch than the first, what are we, 13 games into the year? Here's my problem, though. If you go that route, if you keep Tyler O'Neill in there, Who's coming out? 
Like, are we taking Alec Burleson out I of this think lineup? It's yeah. Really going to be Alec Burleson. Alec Burleson how becomes. Can the, you can, how can you unless, say that that's the right un, move, unless though? you want to unless you want to do where you can put him at DH, and what you just said about Donovan and his struggles? Would you, six for his last thirty three? Is that what you said? Yeah, but I don't think he's bad enough to where he's lost his spot in the lineup. Just think. Burleson's, I mean, I think it, I think if I think they want to keep Tyler O'Neill in the outfield, and if you want to keep O'Neill in the outfield, you want to put Lars out there, and you want to keep Burleson's bat in the outfield. I mean, at some point, results matter, and I think what they're going to do. And Tyler O'Neill's numbers have not been since he got benched. Now he's not hitting for power, but I, I think that's going to come. <laughs> I know, but I think it's going to come. I mean, he's hitting two eighty. He's got a seven forty eight OPS. He, he's and he's on a three game hitting streak currently right now. So like, I, he hasn't played bad enough to where you just take his bat out of the lineup. If you wanted to put him in left and put Newton center, I get it. But I, I think at some point results matter. And if we're going down that route of okay, we've yeah, got to keep. Matter. I'm keeping know, Burleson in left over Tyler O'Neill. No, what I'm well, I, Tyler O'Neill's playing well. Your I'm not taking Tyler O'Neill out. He's better than he has. He been better than Alec Burleson. Defensively, yes. That's not what I asked. I, I, th- <laughs> well, I, I think, think defensively been, matters, yeah. especially what we saw last night. I uh, So if you're going by that, though, and you want to keep Burleson's bat in the lineup, which I don't disagree with, Burleson's played well enough to be in the lineup, you have to look at some. how do you keep Gorman's bat in? Well, the way you do that is you take Donovan out. Or I just take out the guy that has been the le- the worst performing outfielder thus far. Which I would not take out the offensive side of things because Correct. Alec Burleson does not look good or comfortable defensively. I would, I would not and take the out the Cardinals like defense, don't they? They like hitting more. Well, guess what? You could be a bench bat because we need those late in games. This be nice team to have needs that. to score runs, guys. They're not scoring. Well, so Burleson's been in the lineup and they're not scoring. But he's hitting. He's not the part. He's not the problem. Well, Tyler O'Neill's hitting too, though. Yeah, kinda. Tyler O'Neill's kind of hitting. Here we go. Tyler O'Neill is Just say you no. want him out of the lineup. He's hitting for average, but he's not hitting for the power that you expect. But that's going right to come. That is going to come with Tyler Well, we can't have the double-edged sword <laughs> yeah, of. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to come. Yeah, you can't sit there and cherry-pick like you like yeah. to do of one guy it's going to happen with and the other guy, meh. Hey, I point to history, and Tyler O'Neill's history on it's going to come is mixed. It doesn't always happen but the way it, we let's expect. Let's not act like Newport's got a history of doing it. Newport's sample size is literally a second half and of the also, season. Like, he deserves an opportunity. So does O'Neal. Alec Burleson's gotten one hit in his last, like, seven games. Tyler O'Neill's doing that. Alec Bur- Burleson's hitting the hell out of the baseball. Cool. Because he's got a double and a triple in two games. It's kind of important. Tyler O'Neill's done that too. Oh, get out of here. Um, I want to see more of Alec Burleson, moral of the story. I will see Tyler O'Neill against lefties. Like, yeah, throw him out there against lefties. I want to see him against both. Hey, he's played well enough to be in the lineup. I will see Alec both. Burleson late in a game in a pinch hit spot, so Taylor Motter doesn't do that. Somebody says, guys, Donovan has to be the odd man out. He's struggling and he needs to quit forcing him in the lineup every day. I, I think our conversation might lead to that. Like what we just talked about? Then you're playing Gorman at second base? It's possible Gorman ends up being your second, at least for the time being. I think you should figure it out. Like this weekend, you're seeing exclusively right-handed pitching. Maybe what they try to do whenever Newt is back, and it's it's possible he's not back until Monday. But at that point in time, maybe what they do is, hey, Donovan, if he doesn't perform well over the weekend, you've been struggling a little bit, take a little bit of a backseat. Nothing wrong with that. Take a couple of steps back to be able to get back into the lineup here in the not-too-distant future. They see what Gorman is able to do at second base. You put Newt in left, Tyler O'Neill in center, Jordan Walker in right, and Burleson at DH. I would not go that route because I would rather see your infield defense playing at a higher level, and I think Donovan is better defensively, although Gorman has been okay this year um, than Gorman. But I can see the argument. I get it. For all the things that I just said about Tyler O'Neill, I'd be a hypocrite to not say they also exist for Brendan Donovan right now, where at some point... 
you got to point to the weakest link, and Donovan's been your weakest link offensively. But you for just a decent portion love of the Brendan Donovan and I do. dislike Tyler O'Neill. So that, that's true. welcome to the cherry pick, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up next, we'll dive into some NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Guys, I mentioned the other day the odds are shifting for the number one overall pick in Las Vegas. And it sounds like Adam Schefter's reporting is leaning in the same direction as the markets. Bryce Young's going to visit the Houston Texans. I think it's a waste of time. I think the ship has sailed. I think Bryce Young's going to be the number one pick. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to have a chance to take the guy that. I think they would have liked to have taken. So now they're sitting there at number two. And what do you do? So he's suggesting pretty clearly there. Bryce Young's going number one overall. And this decision has already been made. Alex, I have said all along, I would not go that route. I would go either CJ Stroud or Anthony Richardson. Richardson would be my personal preference, but I understand the hesitation. His production in college was not at the level that NFL teams typically like. He started just 13 games at that level. That is not the resume of a typical number one overall pick in the NFL draft. CJ Stroud, though, was a Heisman contender. He's thrown in a more pro-style offense than like Tennessee, for example, with Hendon Hooker. He has been super productive. He has the size. He has the accuracy. Everything about him screams NFL caliber quarterback. Now that we, it appears, knows what the number one overall pick is going to be, how do you feel about Carolina going with Bryce Young? Not a fan of it. I'm still not sold on it, but I mean, Adam Schefter's not reporting that just because. um, He knows something. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. I I think C.J. Stroud should have been the pick there because I just look at C.J. Stroud as the well-formed quarterback that can at least jump right in and take it over. The size of Bryce Young is a little concerning, especially if you're talking about a Carolina Panthers team that's in this rebuild. I think he would have gone through the same struggles as the Houston Texans. So I I view this as if Bryce Young goes to Carolina, wherever C.J. Stroud goes, I'll watch that team to see have more success than Carolina. Follow up on this. What does this now mean for Houston? They got to trade out of it. The reason I ask this is because I mentioned this early in the offseason. CJ Stroud is represented by the same agent that represented Deshaun Watson. David Mulligetta has found a way to get Deshaun Watson out of Houston. He found a way first to get Jalen Ramsey out of Jacksonville. And then eventually, I think him and the Rams worked together on getting him out of L.A. But... He's done some stuff that has rubbed a few NFL teams the wrong ways, especially down in Houston with everything that went went down with Deshaun Watson. That could mean that the Texans just say, we are not drafting C.J. Stroud because we are unwilling to negotiate with that specific agent. Yeah, and if I'm... And if they're not interested in Anthony Richardson... I do think that is how you get to a place where Houston does not take a quarterback at number two. And I'm with you, Alex. That means you got to trade out of that pick. You cannot pick somebody other than a quarterback there. You have to trade out to get other picks, and then you take whoever you want. I would trade out to see if I can get another pick in the first round deeper into the draft this year, and then see if I can get a first-round pick next year. Because if I don't feel comfortable with that quarterback, and you're not sold on Anthony Richardson or Will Levis or Hendon Hooker, maybe you could get them later in the first round, then be bad again for one more year and go for Caleb Williams next year. 
and you could still get impactful players if you trade down and yeah. maybe get an extra first round pick and draft a couple of defensemen. Maybe you draft a wide receiver and you focus next year as our quarterback year to get him because you know you're going to be bad. Yeah, I, I think if you can't, if you're not taking a quarterback at two, you got to trade out of that pick just for it makes so much more sense than drafting a defensive player there, especially when you're going to, as you said, be bad next year. You're going to be back in the top probably five at minimum next year in the NFL draft. And if you're bad enough, you can get into the Caleb Williams uh, sweepstakes. I, I actually do like the idea, though, of Bryce Young going number one overall. I, I think he's the best quarterback in this draft. I, I know he's tiny, and I know there's kind of concerns about that. I, I don't have that concern. This guy was able to ball in the SEC, and we've seen quarterbacks that come from the SEC and play well typically end up fairly, faring well once they get to the NFL level. Now, I know Mac Jones has been kind of iffy, but Joe Burrow put up historic numbers in the SEC, and he's been great so far. Like I I think Bryce Young's going to translate well, and I, I think Frank Reich's such a good coach that no, probably even if he did take Stroud, I think he could have developed him the right way. I, I think he's going to be able to not have the size be an issue for Bryce Young. I think they're going to do things to get him out of the pocket, make sure he uses some of that athleticism as well. I, I'm not concerned about Bryce Young's size. I, I think he's the best quarterback in this class. To compliment to Joe Burrow, though, Joe Burrow's not tiny. And Bryce Young's tiny. And the tiny SEC I, quarterbacks, I, think, I don't know if we've seen success I, I from. I think if you can play in the SEC, you can play in the NFL level at quarterback. I think you. it's very different. Uh, the hashes in particular, like the, the, the style of play is very different in the league. And I... It just it's, it's a historical outlier. We've never seen a guy this short and that slight succeed in the NFL. The only comparison that people can really come up with that has had any modicum of success is Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is like 20 pounds heavier than what we've seen from Bryce Young, and he's not stayed healthy so far I mean, look at in his Tua. NFL career. Yeah, that that's the comparison that I think makes a little bit more sense size wise. And in that's terms why of I'm worried. It, I think there's real real questions with him, but. To Tanner's point, I mean, to be fair to him, Bryce Young was amazing in the SEC. He was. So there's the production suggests he's going to be very good. The size is a real concern with Bryce Young. And to completely write off either of those two sides of the argument, I I think it's tough to do. But um, it's going to be interesting to see what he looks like in Carolina. All right. The other big news in the NFL is this Jets, Packers, Aaron Rodgers saga oh, that done. never feels like it's going to end. Charles Robinson, who's been all over this story for Yahoo Sports, had this that he reported just the other day. The Packers asking price for Aaron Rodgers is a second round pick this year and a guaranteed first round pick in next year's draft. They are willing to give something back in 2025, so two years from now, if Rodgers ends up retiring after this season. According to him... Woody Johnson does not want to guarantee the first round pick in 2024 after what happened to the Broncos with the Russell Wilson situation. The Jets owner wants to add other conditions to the deal. Here's a bombshell part of this report. According to Charles Robinson, the parties had agreed to the parameters of a deal until Aaron Rodgers cited that he was 90% retired this offseason until he came out of the darkness. Woody Johnson, the owner of the New York Jets, according to Charles Robinson, got scared to death to spend that high draft capital on him. And that is why the Packers are unwilling to accept less right now. So the Packers and Jets basically said, all right, fine. First round pick next year, second round pick this year. That's the going rate for a future Hall of Fame quarterback at this stage of his career. Let's go ahead and get it done. Do you guys think this gets done by the draft? No, we are now what? Two weeks away. 
Two weeks from today is basically the deadline because that's when day two of the NFL draft will be. Do you think it gets done by then? I don't because of what Woody Johnson said in terms of being concerned about the Russell Wilson side of it, knowing how bad a team can be, and then with the retirement angle of it. If you give up a guaranteed first-round pick in next year's draft, if things go haywire, which it might for Aaron Rodgers' attitude, you could be talking about a top-10 pick that's going back that you should have been drafting and then finding out that Aaron Rodgers says, blanket, I'm done, I'm calling it. Now you're stuck with nothing and you don't have a top 10 pick or a first round pick in next year's draft. I don't blame Woody Johnson at all with that. I would say I'd be doing the exact same thing. So I think this carries over. Yeah, I, I don't think it gets done before the draft because it does sound like ownership's the one that's blocking it. And I don't think ownership's going to change their mind that that easily. So I think it does end up getting blocked. My question though is if it doesn't get done by the draft this year, can you get it done after that, though? Because, I mean, the parameters of the deal, as you just said, is a second-round pick this year and a first-round pick next year. Are the Packers going to be willing to just say, all right, well, we weren't able to get it done for this year, so we'll just kind of we'll bump back second-round pick next year and a first-round pick the following year. I, I don't think the Packers are willing to do that. I I think if it doesn't get done before the draft, I, I, I'm i going to start really – I don't want to say I'm hitting the panic button because I really don't care if they end up with them or huh. not, but – I think I'm really going to be leaning towards the side of this deal's not going to get done at all, and the Jets are going to be stuck with Zach Wilson. Do you think there's a scenario in which the 49ers swoop in and say, you know what, second-round pick and a first-round pick, it's worth it for us. We're a Super Bowl contender. Go get Aaron Rodgers. Is there any scenario where another team eventually gets involved if the if the Jets legitimately say we are not doing a first-round pick? It will not happen for us. And if you're the 49ers, do you do it? Because I think I do. I think I would too. I, think I would also. Because you have so many concerns right now, and you have your succession plan in place because you believe you got the guy. You drafted a seventh round quarterback last year that was pretty darn good when he was out there getting opportunities for you. You had a chance to go to the Super Bowl if he doesn't get hurt in that NFC Championship game. Aaron Rodgers is better than Brock Purdy. Whoa. And I say that as somebody that's not a big Aaron Rodgers fan. I'm sorry. Did Aaron Rodgers get to the Super Bowl? No, but if you put him in that situation in San Francisco, I I think he's going to do very well. If I'm them, I swoop in and say, we'll figure out how to make this thing work cap-wise. Let's go ahead and get this done. That that would be what I would do if I was them. I, I think I would do it too. I, I just don't know if they will. I, I I have a tough time seeing San Francisco just jumping into this. I, I, I could see where it makes a ton of sense in the world to go do it because I, I don't disagree with you. If you bring in... Aaron Rodgers, they are probably the, the favorite in the NFC to go to the Super Bowl. I I just don't know if they have the aggressiveness to do it. I, I Maybe they do because, I mean, they went kind of all in. Gosh, was it last year where they acquired Christian McCaffrey? So, like, that was kind of the signal of going all in. So maybe you do do it, and that's kind of what the Rams did. They right. did it where they got the quarterback. Or no, yeah, they got the quarterback in Stafford first, and then they got Ramsey to add on to it. So, Maybe they end up going that route, but I, I don't know if they want to be as aggressive with their picks and dealing them. Somebody on the text line makes a fair point. Guys, they don't have a first or a second round pick this year because of those deals that you were talking about. True. They have three third round picks, though. Three top 100 picks. They could trade two of those, which is close to the equivalent of a second round pick. Trade the first next year. You're good to go. They could find a way to make this deal work. Like if if they're giving up a first round pick next year, that's clearly what the Packers are honing in on. Uh, if the Jets aren't willing to do it, I could see another team swooping in here eventually. Will Rodgers agree to go to that other team, though? I think Aaron Rodgers is just trying to... Because he might just go back into the darkness. It's always possible. Coming up next, what are the Blues' off-season priorities? What should be at number one on that list? Talk about it here on 101 ESPN.
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. seconds to go and that'll do it blues fall to the dallas stars in the final game of the season by a score of one to nothing the season will come to a close and the blues will fall below 500 for the first time since 2007 2008 finish the regular season with a 37 38 and 7 record that's what it sounded like right here on 101 ESPN last night as the Blues end their regular season on a three-game losing streak, finishing 37-38-7 and on the year. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, this means that it is officially off-season time for your St. Louis Blues. And earlier today, Jeremy Rutherford put together his list of the five priorities for the team going into the off-season. I wanted to go through this list with you to discuss it from our perspective on where these things uh, rank in terms of the most important decisions that need to be made and also whether or not we agree with this list overall from JR. The first thing he put on there was making a decision on the coaching staff, and it appears that the Blues agreed <laughs> with that being the priority. Check. Earlier today, they announced that Craig McTavish and Mike Van Ryan will not return with the team next year. They will bring back both Steve Ott and David Alexander Alex, this was clearly an urgent need. You need to make these decisions first. It's one of those things where you've got a task on your table. Get that off so you can go on to the next thing. I I thought it was a smart move. We talked about it earlier today. You need to bring in somebody that can help you with the special teams. And unfortunately for Mike Van Ryn, that's one of those spots where they didn't perform well enough defensively this year. He's the defensive coach. Need to move on, get a new direction. Yeah, I think they were on the same level of needing to fix the special teams and needing to fix the defense. And this move to me tells me that Doug Armstrong views it as this is going to be difficult if they're trying to move out one of these defensemen that fans deem necessary to get them out of St. Louis, whether it be Tory Krug or Nick Letty. This move tells me that Doug Armstrong says, look, if we can't get that done, at least we're going to combat this with a different defensive minded coach on the bench to be able to help with that. And then the special teams, you're right. I mean, you have to be um, you have to be top 10 in at least one of those kind of categories. You can't be bottom five in both of them and expect to compete next year in the Western Conference. So uh, Steve Ott is still going to be with this team, which tells me he's probably going to be on the power play unless you bring in a power play specialist. Uh, it remains to be seen who that's going to be. That will be really intriguing moving forward. But yeah, this to me was task number one, figuring out your coaching staff because you've backed Craig Berube. All right, you mentioned a couple of the players that are involved in task number two, which is to trade Nick Letty or Tory Krug. Now, this is not going to be an easy task to be able to get done during this offseason. Both of them have term remaining on their deal. Frankly, significant term for the players that you're getting. It, it was a down season for both of them. There's no other way to put it. Tory Krug has dealt with injuries in his time here in St. Louis. He's not been a healthy player. If he's back with the Blues next year, that has to be priority number one for him. Is just finding a way to stay healthy over the course of a full season. And Nick Letty, I I think we just bought too much into what we saw from him over a short sample size where the underlying numbers were all blinking. This is not sustainable. Nothing that you're seeing here is real, even if the goals for and against the overall plus minus looks like it's something that's a positive thing for the Blues. I think Nick Letty is a really solid third pairing defenseman at this point in his career. There's nothing wrong with being that. 
The problem is he's making $4 million a year, and when you're paying a third-pairing defenseman that kind of money, when you could get similar type of production from a Tyler Tucker, for example, different, but similar production overall, that's hard for a Blues team that is pretty much capped out. So I, I think one of those guys should and will be moved this offseason. I would personally probably lean towards I would rather trade Tory Krug because of that money, but if you can't trade Krug, I think Letty needs to be the one that ends up going. Yeah, I mean... I think they should. I just don't know if they will uh, because it's going to be a very difficult task, not only convincing a team to take a player who has struggled, not just this season, but over the last couple of seasons in terms of injury and consistent play. But then you're also trying to convince them to take on multiple years, whether it's at six and a half million dollars or four million dollars. And Doug Armstrong's not going to attach draft picks to a team to force them to take a player. It's going to be, if I'm trading this player, I want something in return. Now, we don't know the scenarios. That's why the playoffs are so interesting because a team could get bounced in the first round and say, we need to send off somebody who looks like he's a top four defenseman, but he's not in the right spot. So maybe we go out and get another guy who's in that area. That's where you could find a Kruger or a Letty move. But I could also argue, by the way, to your point on them not attaching a draft pick to those players to move them, like, I, I tend to agree that he won't do that. I think it is at least arguable whether or not he should do that. I, I'm absolutely with you, but just the way that Doug Armstrong works, he's going to look at that as Same those, thing with buyouts. He yeah, doesn't do it. Those yeah. two picks are going to be a, available to me to potentially move into the top five, potentially uh, make a trade for. That's the other factor into this. They could go out there and acquire another defenseman and look at it as we're going to combat it with numbers. But if you're bringing in money, you're going to have to send out money. One of those guys has to go, and if they don't, then you get to the process of, okay, now we're going to just have to back these individuals with our defensemen, our defensive coach, and figure out how to get the best out of these players. Then you might get to the scenario where a Scott Perunovich could get moved. And I brought in the notion of a buyout. We know like that just doesn't happen here. It's not going to happen. He doesn't do it. And you can agree or disagree with that philosophy. It's worked out really well for him over a 15-year stretch here in St. Louis. So uh, credit for that. But... JR brings up the possibility of buying out Marco Scandella. Now, he explains this, and I think this is important context. He said, if the Blues are able to trade either Krug or Letty, they might want to hang on to Marco Scandella for depth purposes. However, if there is no interest in either of those two first defensemen, then the club should try to trade Scandella or consider buying out the remainder of his contract. I would not do that. I would not buy out Marco Scandella, and here's why. I think we saw this year that at worst, he's a capable third-pairing defenseman for a team, whether that's here or elsewhere. And his cap hit at this point is not exorbitant, and it doesn't have significant term remaining. So when you put all of that together, I actually think there's going to be a suitor for Marco Scandella somewhere. It might require the Blues, and I know, Alex, this is where we differ. You don't think that they, they will do this. It might require the Blues to eat half of that deal. That's $1.6 million. If we're bringing up the possibility of buying out Marco Scandella, we should also bring up the possibility of them retaining salary in a trade. This is not multiple years. This is not where they're going to have to eat 1.6 for the next five seasons or anything like that. Something crazy. For one year, you have $1.6 million in dead cap, and you're able to remove $1.6 million from your books. 
that is the route that I would go this offseason if you end up needing to move one of these defensemen, really for roster purposes more so than anything else. Yeah, and I just don't think either of those are going to happen. I view this as they're going to say Marco Scandella will be a part of this team at the start of next season, and if this the season goes south like it just did, then you're going to have an asset that might garner you a third-round draft pick at the trade deadline. So uh, Krug and Letty would be the ones that I'd say – you can look at it and say, let's figure out a way to get these guys off the books. Marco Scandella, I view this as they're going to say, nope, on the team next year because, one, he's an asset because he's so good at the penalty kill when he's healthy, and two, he's an asset come trade deadline time if your season isn't the way it's supposed to be. Now you've just talked about adding another second or third round pick to your draft arsenal for next offseason. Here's my question, though. You have right now Falk, Krug, Pareko, Letty, Scandella, Bortuzzo, Rosen, under contract for next season. If you bring back all of those guys, you can't bring up any of the young players that we're talking about for guaranteed spots. I'm not even saying necessarily like for cap purposes, this team has the money they need going into this offseason to make a move for a top nine to uh, top nine forward. And by the way, that's number five on their on uh, JR's list of what the priority should be this offseason. I agree with that. You need to add, in my opinion, a top nine center, top three center for you. But When you're looking at what they have defensively, one of the main reasons why I say I would look to move Marco Scandella if you can't move one of Krug or Falk, or excuse me, Krug or Letty, is because I think they want to see Tyler Tucker next year. They want to see Scott Perunovic next year. They want to see some of these young guys getting opportunities at the NHL level. And unless you move at least one, maybe multiple of those left-handed defensemen, you can't do that. You don't have the roster space or the playing time to be able to find out what these players are capable of. So I think you have to move at least one defenseman this offseason. And honestly, I think the correct number is probably two defensemen that you need to move this offseason. And that could be Callie Rosen. Could be where you either release him or send him somewhere else for future considerations. Like there's ways you can go about this. But I think you need to remove two of the players currently on your roster defensively so that way you can add Perunovic and Tyler Tucker to the active roster next year. The way I look at the how they use the defense this year, of course, with everything that took place, I, I project next season, if they're able to accomplish it, Bortuzzo and Callie Rosen are 7-8 defensemen for them. They're not even in your top six. Tyler Tucker is going to be in your top six. Scott Perunovic is going to be in your top six. And that's where you have to move one of them. Because if you come back with... Krug, Letty, and move Scandella. All right, well, we're going to have to buy into this system of puck-moving mobile defensemen that jump into the offensive zone. If you're able to accomplish moving Tory Krug, well, now you've got a Nick Letty who's a really good second-pair defenseman. You've got a Marco Scandella who would be a great third-pair defenseman, and now we're going to back Scott Perunovic. And if you're able to move two of them, then you're in the conversation of, let's head to the trade market. Let's see what's out there. Maybe there's a guy in free agency that we feel like might fit our mold of what we're looking for. Mackenzie Weger. Bless you. That was a really good sneeze, man. Um, yeah. Mackenzie I would go that Weger. route. Um, yeah, there's a couple of other guys. Ryan Graves. He's good. He's Oliver good Shillington. Nicholas Haig. Man, a lot of sneezes. Sunshine sneezes. But two of those guys get moved out. Now you're talking and finding ways to adjust defensively and again it's going to be very difficult to move two of those defensemen out this season final thing that jr brings up is getting ready for the draft we're all excited about this alex 
it is now official in terms of where the Blues' odds are going to be standing going into the NHL draft lottery. You're darn tootin'. The Blues have a 73% chance of drafting number 10 overall. How do I come up with those odds, you may be asking? Well, because you're a nerd. They have a 3.5% chance to move up if they win the lottery to the number one overall pick. They've got a 3.8% chance to move up to number two. So basically... A hope and a prayer. That's what they've got to be able hey. to move up into the top two to get either Bedard or Fantilli. Or a tinfoil that's going to tell you that they're going to get it no matter what. Don't Could be that them. too. And how do you move back? BK, but I thought if they picked 10th or just 10th. Well, if one of the top, uh, the 11th or 12th place teams end up moving up, they win the lottery. They can only move up 10 spots. So that 12th team cannot move up to number one, but they could get to number two. That's how you end up getting jumped by those. You move back a little bit, but that's it. So the most likely spot that the Blues will be drafting is number 10 overall. That's where they ended up landing after last night because a couple of the teams that you needed to lose did not lose the way that we needed them to. So that's where you stand with the draft. Man, they looked great too. Washington had a 4-1 lead and then decided to be massive choke artists. Detroit never had a chance, and our guy Tanner's Ville Husso, you know, couldn't stop a freaking puck from the Tampa Bay Lightning. Way to go. Three in the third period. They got deflected. Yeah, no, they didn't. Uh, Ville Husso's skates got deflected by nobody. Ville Husso's numbers this year were remarkably similar to uh, Jordan Bennington. Ville Husso is remarkably the, Ville Husso was well, a— We call Bennington a great goalie, so— Ville Husso was a first-half defenseman, our goaltender— and then a second-half goaltender that was mediocre. So, George Bennington. Oh, yeah? 2.0. How did Billy Husso look against Minnesota last year in the playoffs? Good. Yeah, he had a shot. Yeah, at- he lost his job to Bennington. Coming up next, we're diving Nailed into it. the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, if you found $200,000 on the highway, what do you do? Keep it. Follow up. Is there a license next to it, or is it just $200,000 nope. $200, in cash in an envelope? Yep. Is there yeah, ink on it? That. Huh? Is there ink on it? We don't know. Like how, am I, how am I going to find the person that lost it? It's on the highway. If this was outside like a building, I'd walk in the building and ask if it was somebody. What are you using it for? What do you mean, what am I using it for? Well, you've got $200,000 in cash. Man. Are you cleaning it? Are you... Am I cleaning it? Yeah. No, yeah. I'm going to go pay off some debt with I, it. I'm going to the casino immediately. I'm going on a trip. Oh, I'm paying off debt. Are you kidding me? I'm going to the casino. Nah. Putting at, at any given... I'll, I'll like go to the craps table. I got 10 grand ready to go. And nice. then I go to another casino. 10 grand on the table. Another casino. 10 grand on the table. Oh, it's going right into my and bank. Getting, my money, putting it on the table, turning it into chips, and then getting their money. <laughs> because I don't need to know, to your boy T-Bone, what is going on with that cash. The reason why I ask is because in Oregon, Eugene specifically, so the University of Oregon's town. Eugene. A man reportedly threw $200,000 in cash out of a ski- speeding car onto the interstate. People continue to search the sides of the highway to find out if there's any excess cash laying around, hoping to find some more of that money. The police say all of it has been accounted for because, of course, they do. What are they going to say? The- 
We didn't find all of the $200,000 over We're here. We're missing 5K. Keep on searching. I think that if I found this money, the first thing I'm doing, I'm immediately going to the casino. That is my personal plan. Did you learn that from uh, Ozarks? I learned that from any show that you've ever watched that has to do with cleaning money. All right, well, that's fair. I uh, I think that's actually probably a smart plan is to go to the casino and get that clean because if you just go on a trip like what I want to do, yeah, you're totally spending money that's been stolen. Yeah. No doubt about it. But how? I found it. Can't claim yeah. I stole the money. The money was on the side of the highway and I found it. But if you don't claim it and it's reported stolen. Okay, so I'll call the authorities and say, hey, I found 200 grand on the highway. Well, yeah, what are they going to say? Give it to us? Yes. <laughs> That's exactly nah. what they're going to say. Nah, it's just, possible. Like, I'm going to go spend it then. I, there are some places that if there's no claiming that takes place with the money, like eventually they might end up giving it to you as the the man that found the money. But it's possible they just hold it. Nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go spend it. Well, then you're going to jail yeah, for... it's possible you would end up be, going to jail. You can't send me to jail for money that I didn't steal. You can't. Yes, you can. Because you can't. Because you claim that money you that you did yeah. not steal. Well, how can they prove that I stole it? They, you, 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 They've got 250k missing. You, you say I found money. it on the highway. What are you talking yeah, and about? You didn't report it. There's no. There's no. You can't send me to prison because I found money on the highway. You didn't yes. report it. You that's, didn't report no, it. That's, that's money not, laundering. This is like that's you finding happen. a car in the interstate that was stolen. That is completely different. This is it's 200k. It's literally the exact same thing. This is 200k on the side of the road. That is not that is not going Man, to put you, you are, in jail. You are so ended up in jail stealing one day. Stealing a car is completely different. It's not stealing a car. You found the car on the side of yeah, the road. Yeah, but it's licensed to somebody. So that this money, money is, too. is belonging to somebody. So then you'll find out who that money belongs to and find out how it was lost. Yeah, and they will say it was stolen, <laughs> and you will then be the no. one that has possession no of that money. for it. Yes, there no. is. What? How do you not understand? Because what evidence do they have other than, oh, well, well you, you stole the money. Well, that's a pretty good case. You had it. You used it. Yeah, but I found it on the highway. <laughs> so it, let me ask this a different way. Man, I really if hope you If you had stolen this, this money and you used the exact same excuse. Yeah, I found it on the side of the highway. Like, do you know how ridiculous that would sound to the attorney that is trying to defend you they'd be like no we need a better story what do you mean we need <laughs> a better story <laughs> that is the story in court. that is the story yeah and when you end up going to prison as a result it's gonna be a hell of a story when i read it on our show during nah. the junk truck yeah nah, you guys are stupid that's not bk and fill in the blank because ferrario is no longer here Nah, you guys are stupid that's not true i i can't believe you're baffled by this because that i i think you would be charged with money laundering right wouldn't that be no, it's I don't know what money they would, laundering. I don't know what your yeah, official charge would be. You'd be charged with possession of stolen money. Yeah. Nah. Man, I really hope you never run nah. into the scenario because you're going to jail. But nah. I'll I'll come visit you, man. Nah, that's nah. You're not I've going. always wanted to have a moment where I can like talk to somebody on the phone somebody across the, the glass. Somebody on the text line said, "Oh, officer, this isn't my drugs. <laughs> I don't know how it got in here. I found it on the side. <laughs> drugs are illegal. <laughs> not all of them." Okay, so then I'm not going to jail if it's not legal drugs. It's not I'm legal money. I am trying to think of a good way to explain this that would be, like, easier. Uh, no, man, it's not going to happen. Like, if you found... Plus, if you exchange the money at the casino, they can track the money. Yeah, but it's just less likely. Because there's so much money that's coming in on a day-in, day-out basis. less likely I'm going to prison by saying, oh, I found it on the side of the road. No, if you now use that, that all, like, if you're paying off all of your debt with it, it's... 
Like that's would, super easy to trace. Yeah, they would go. How'd this guy all of a sudden get two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars? Whereas if I'm going to some random casino and I'm putting money on the have, table, you'd have to do a pretty slow portion too, probably. Correct. Casino. Yeah. You you'd ha- you can't do like, hey, I'm playing two hundred thousand yeah. dollars on black during a roulette hand. Like that that ain't gonna work. But maybe you didn't. I think you guys are all wrong. I think you guys watch way too much uh, shows on Netflix. See, I don't think you watch enough. That's my fears. I don't think you're, you're watching enough to understand. You're backing by shows on Netflix. I'm not, though. This is... Like, no. No, no, no. That's what no, the no. pros do. No, no, no. You can no, call no, them no, pros. No, 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 no. Yeah, I'm, di- I'm disappointed in you, Ferrari. Possession of stolen goods is a felony depending on the amount. I'm an officer. I would know such a thing. Okay. Officer, just so we're clear, we don't have 250K. As a defense attorney... I have had multiple clients claim they are unaware of whose pants they were wearing at a certain time. <laughs> that is amazing. Can you That's imagine an being a defense plea. attorney and being like, hey, you really want me to tell this to the judge? How, how'd you get the drugs? Yo, man, I don't even know whose, whose pants these are. I can't tell you whose drugs they are. I don't even know, who, know whose pants I'm wearing right now. They just happen to fit me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, cool. All right, I guess I'll tell the judge that. Coming up next, is it officially put up or shut up time for Jordan Hicks? Because it is not looking good right now. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm concerned about the Cardinals. I just I I look at them and think Why? That, that because they're starting pitching, it's, it's it, their starting pitching is not good. I mean, Jordan Montgomery's been good. Miles Michaelis hasn't been good since getting the contract extension. Adam Wainwright's got the groin injury. Flaherty's walked 13 guys already this year. Now I did pitch better yesterday. Stephen Matz has got an eight ERA. They're burning out their bullpen early. Now I know they've got a really good offense and a really good defense, and maybe that'll be enough to stay in it, but. They're not They're not going to win that division. The Brewers are a better team right now than are the Cardinals. They've got better pitching, uh, and their offense is much improved this year in Milwaukee. I just think the Cardinals are in trouble. That was Steve Phillips on MLB Network Radio yesterday talking about the Cardinals' struggles, specifically on the pitching side of things. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. I think he shares a majority opinion with a certain segment of Cardinals fans right now, which is this pitching is just not good enough and the Cardinals are in trouble. Now, I want to hone in not so much on this on the rotation right now, Alex, but on the bullpen, because Jordan Hicks has simply not been good this year. He's thrown five and a third innings. He's allowed eight hits already, including eight walks. So that's 16 base runners in five and a third innings. Horrible. <laughs> He's allowed eight or six earned runs in that stretch of time, and he's had three wild pitches already, which matches what he had in the entirety of the 2021 season. Alex, I, I'm hopeful that Jordan Hicks can get this thing back on track, but we have now seen over the last three seasons 51 appearances and 77 innings from Jordan Hicks. In that time, he has a 5.3 ERA. At a certain point, which you are what you are. And Jordan Hicks throws 103 miles per hour, which is super fun to watch, but he doesn't know where it's going most of the time, and he has not been effective this year. The biggest issue for him has been the first batters. Here's what they have done against him so far this season. Single walk, double, home run, fly out, walk. 
He has recorded an out in one game in which he faced that first guy and then got him out. Otherwise, single walk, double home run, walk. Alex, what's going on right now with Jordan Hicks? It feels like the yips, which I I don't know how you fix that. I mean, players go through it and they can write it. Other players can't. I, I mean, the thing about it is the walks more than the runs with me, and especially when it comes to a bullpen arm and and look he's given up eight hits too so it's like if he's not walking guys giving up hits I mean you only got five strikeouts it's strikeout per inning that he's thrown for you but the walks when it comes to a bullpen pitcher they're like you can give the leeway to starting pitchers because you got more innings to figure it out and you know even if you get into a little bit of a tight spot you can get through it last night was a perfect example he comes into the game and you walk the bases loaded and Ollie's got to take him out so now you've just wasted the pitcher in that game and you've put your team in a worse spot. So if you're throwing this fast and you can't locate the pitch and the command's not there and you're walking guys and when you do locate it, it's getting blown past the infielders. The only thing you could say is, well, we can't use him in high leverage spots. And if you're not going to do that with your bullpen, are you only using them when your game's a blowout? You might have to give that bullpen spot to somebody who could be more useful. I want to hear what Tanner has to say on this as well, but I do want to react to one thing from the text line. Guys, what's more concerning to me is that Marmol thought that that was the right situation for Hicks last night. Now, I texted you guys immediately upon him uh, being inserted into the game. Don't love this spot for Jordan Hicks. Don't feel good about it. But I, I need to admit, and I think this is an important context here, they didn't have very many guys available last night. Like, other than Hennessy Cabrera and Chris Stratton and Jordan Hicks, you might have had Drew Verhagen available. You might have had Andre Palante available. And I think that was pretty much it. Everybody else had been utilized either the previous two days or had a significant workload that had been done over the previous three. Doesn't that speak to the problems that they have with starting pitching now? Sure. Because yeah, you're using these guys too much. much. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, no doubt about it. But the reason why I bring that up is because when you have a guy leave in the seventh inning, you have to bring somebody in. And in that spot, it was either Cabrera, Hicks, or Stratton. Who do you feel the best about? It, I don't feel good about any of them, but I think the answer is probably Jordan Hicks, given what his stuff is. And when he's on, given what we know he can be. He just hasn't been on now for almost three years. T-Bone, where are you at with Jordan Hicks? I, I think I'm done with Jordan Hicks. I, I, I don't see him finding command. He's never really had command. He's always had a high walk rate in his career, and he never gets swing and miss stuff. And, and I, I think Sometimes Cardinals and the fans fall victim to, wow, he throws 103. Yeah, he throws 103, he doesn't know where it's going, and he doesn't miss any bats at all. So I I think last night I would have gone to Stratton there. I I know, like, Stratton doesn't draw, like, a big, ooh, wow, Chris Stratton. No. And he got hit hard later, so it didn't. Yeah, it, it didn't matter. But, like, he's been better, and I feel more comfortable with him at this point in his career and coming out of that pin in that spot than Jordan Hicks. The moment they went to the bullpen and I saw Hicks was up, I went, oh boy, if they've got to go to him in this scenario and this setting, this game's over. And I, I thought that when they when Ollie went out there and took uh, Montgomery out of that game, I went, well, this is over. Jordan Hicks is not going to get out of this. I, I've i not been impressed with Jordan Hicks. I wasn't that impressed with him last year. There were spurts where he looked good. But I, I just think you're getting to a point where you have to look at his spot and go, okay, we're going to be better off if we bring somebody else here and put them in the bullpen. Because like you said, this isn't a conversation where we're just having like, oh, hey, you know, it's early in the year for Jordan Hicks. You just said it's been three years that we've been deal- you've been seeing this from Jordan Hicks in his spot, whether it be as a starter or in the bullpen. You know what you need to do? You need to DFA Hicks, put Woodford in the bullpen, and bring Matthew Libertor up and put him in the rotation. I'm not opposed. That's what you need to do. Uh, John Denton was on with the morning sh- or on with uh, the balloon party. Excuse me, earlier today. Here's what he had to say about the importance of this start for Jake Woodford. 
uh, John Mozeliak said yesterday, he said, you know, basically they evaluate pitchers after three starts. If, if tonight goes poorly for Jake Woodford, I really think we could see Matthew Lubitor in St. Louis, you know, maybe by middle of next Middle of the next week is what he said there. I cut it off early. That's my bad. Um, Poor John. It, I, I agree with him, and I agree with you, Alex. This is a huge start for Jake Woodford. I think he's been – I know what the ERA says. <laughs> I, I get that. I think he's mostly been okay. I don't think he's been terrible for a fifth starter. I think what, what we've seen from Matthew Liberator, though, is so inspiring with what he's done down in AAA that – Unless it's a really nice start tonight from Jake Woodford against what is, I know what last night showed, but a bad lineup in Pittsburgh, I think that I would like to see Matthew Liberator get that next start. And I think you can make the argument, especially if it's a solid start tonight from Jake Woodford, that he's a better option for you in the bullpen right now than what uh, Jordan Hicks is. I think you could get something in a trade for Hicks if you made him available on the trade market. I don't think it'd be anything... That gets people excited, but you could get like a lottery ticket type of a prospect for him. And I think that's the route that you probably should go. I don't think you need to DFA him. People are talking about, can he send him down to Memphis? No, they don't have any options on him any longer. So it would have to be a situation where you either DFA him and lose him for nothing or try to trade him. And maybe what they do is DFA him first and then work out the trade afterwards. That way everybody knows that he's available. That's what I was going to say. I think what you do is you try and DFA him. And maybe you get lucky, and I don't think it would happen, but maybe you get lucky, nobody claims him, you can outright him straight to Memphis. That would probably be their hope if they try it. But I think you're right. I think someone would claim him. Someone, one of these bad, hell, Pittsburgh would probably put a claim in on him. Oakland. And they would say, and we'll you take, should. Yeah. And they would say, okay, we'll take the we'll take the risk. We'll see if we can find something to where we can get command back for him and get him to add some swing and miss to his game. But I, I'm with you. I, I think if, if Woodford has a bad or just kind of average outing again because I think that's what most of his outings have been it's just kind of average I think his stuffs look good but he's just not getting results then I think you look at moving him to the bullpen because I think the swing and miss stuff that you've seen from him at least with the slider I think he can bring some value to the bullpen be a guy that can either come in as a long reliever or on a day like yesterday where the bullpen's kind of burnt out you can bring him in in a situation where they brought in Hicks and go okay let's see if he can get some swing and miss and help get us out of this inning He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, how much do the Blues prioritize leadership this offseason? We'll talk about that here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, we spent more time than I would like to admit this year on leadership and the importance of leadership inside of the Blues dressing room. And I got to be honest, I think we probably spent too much time on it. I think the Blues have pretty good leadership. I think when you have Braden Shin available to you, when you have Justin Falk, who proved himself to be a good leader inside of that room, I even think at times Pavel Buchnevich, uh, whether it was like just by leading by example and Torpchenko, I know he's a young guy and people don't typically look for young guys to be leaders, but Torpchenko with his play and with his words at times this year was a leader for the St. Louis Blues. I think Craig Berube is a hell of a leader at the top. Like I, I think they're fine in that regard, but I know there's a lot of people that disagree with me vehemently on what kind of leadership the Blues have right now. When we look to this offseason, 
How much of a priority is that going to be for this team, Alex? I, I'm with you. I think they have the correct leadership in terms of Braden Shen, Justin Falk, Colton Pareko, and Robert Thomas. Those are the four guys that Joey has talked about with me on broadcasts that following a game on the plane, Craig Berube grabs those four players and gets the pulse of the team. That tells you that that's his leadership core. And frankly, they're the guys that wear the A's. They've got the right guys, but they've also... They've also got to find a way to rally the troops, if that makes sense. And that's been the one issue that I feel like when you talk about leadership, that's where you talk about how much are they impacting that locker room? Because Craig Berube is one of the guys that's doing that. But the trickle down effect, what the coach is saying needs to resonate to the players in that locker room. And you weren't seeing it this season. That's why the penalty kill struggled, the power play struggled. That's why we saw the turnovers. That's why we saw these backdoor tappins because whatever was happening, the messages wasn't happening from the coach to the players to the ice. That's where the leadership comes into play. And I'm not sitting here saying you need to go out there and bring in a guy who could be a leader. That's not it. Because don't go get a Jonathan Taze. That doesn't make any sense. You're trying to transition these guys into leadership roles. You can go get a Ryan O'Reilly, but is that message stale now that he's been gone for the second half of the season? You keep the guys that are in place, but maybe you go get more players that are the... I don't want to say the rah-rah type of guys, but somebody who keeps the mood a little bit lighter because it did feel like that locker room got a little uptight throughout the season, and you're going to have to find a way. It's more of an onus on guys like Robert Thomas and Braden Chen and Falk and Pareko and those players to find out why the message got stale this season than it is going out there and finding somebody to to come in and be like a rah-rah player. My stance on this is always going to be pretty simple. I think things got a little tight in the locker room because they were losing. I think they were losing too many games, and that comes from them not being a good enough team. And if you add somebody to the mix, I don't know who this player is specifically. We'll spend plenty of time on this as we get closer into the or further into the offseason. But if you add somebody into the mix that's a top nine center, or top three center, top nine forward for you this offseason, I think that helps you prevent those losing streaks. And I think it makes it more likely that the room is upbeat because you, when you're winning, Turns out things go well in the locker room and you're excited to go out to the rink every day and you're excited to get to morning skate and you're excited to play that that night's game. When you're losing as often as the Blues did this year and it becomes a this is the worst season since blank. This is the longest losing streak since blank. This is the first time that the Blues have sold at the trade deadline since blank. This is the worst penalty kill since blank. That stuff starts to wear on you and it just keeps going and going and going and by mid-February we all knew what the season was going to be at that point guys they still had two months left to play of the regular season that is not a fun place to be as a team I've covered whether it be baseball teams or football teams and now here in St. Louis with this year the hockey side of things the worst place to be is a losing locker room like a consistently losing locker room man it is silent in those places that is not just specific to the blues that is every sport in every walk of life. So I think this had less to do with the personalities that were in there and more to do with them losing. Uh, and if they're able to be a better team next year, I think that you remove a lot of those issues. Yeah, and, and I that's just where we disagree on it because, I mean, in November they had a seven-game win streak, and the, the issue for this team was when the snowball got out of hand, they couldn't stop it. And I think that's on-ice performance. I, I think that's leadership and I think that's vocal players in the locker room making sure that everybody's heads on right when the snowball becomes bigger they 
in the past have found ways to stop it, and this season they didn't. I guess my question would be, though, like, then did we overstate the leadership at the time of what Ryan O'Reilly was? Did we overstate what the, at the time the leadership of uh, Jordan Bennington in that room or uh, Braden Shin in that room? Because those guys were all still here. The only leader that you removed from the from the team this offseason was David Perron. Yeah, and David Perron was a very vocal player in that locker room. But to me, I, I it's it's groups on a team. And like going all the way back to that Stanley Cup team when Alex Petrangelo was here, it's not just Alex Petrangelo that was the leader. You don't just single out the captain. You single out everybody that was in that room. It was a group of players that bought into that message and they played that way. And it was the voice from that leader that got them to that point. But the reason why I bring up last year is because they went through tough times last year and they got through it. And in the end, they became a Stanley Cup contender. And so that same team. But you took David Perron out of the conversation. I know. But if you are. That's a leader. If you're so fragile I mean we could talk about this with the Cardinals like last year they bring back basically the same core but you lose Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols we just talked earlier today with Clint Hurdle who said if your locker room is so fragile that losing those two guys means that you no longer have good leadership then that's a failure I'm not disagreeing with you there regard if this if this locker room was so fragile that losing David Perron meant that they became a frail group that no longer had the required leadership, then I overstated, and I don't think I did. It's not just the, the amount of leadership though. that you had within that room. It's not just the leadership, though. It's the it's the players that are playing significant minutes on the ice that are willing to buy into what that individual is stating. And for some reason, the Ryan O'Reilly message got stale this season with players like Kairou and Thomas and the players that were out there an awful lot. Now you're going to get to the point where you got to find the next group of voices in that locker room that's willing to play to a certain system. And Robert Thomas, he was on with the opening drive today, and he said, like, that's on me and Cairo to figure it out this offseason of how to take that step into leadership. I think that's just an easy thing to say. Like, when, when guys say that, I think that what what else are they going to say in that spot? Because they were asked, the, he was asked the question today of, Hey, you know, it, we've talked a lot about the leadership that you have within that locker room. Is that something that you're going to take in into the offseason and try to continue to build upon? Like, is Robert Thomas then going to say, nope, no, I job. don't want to be a leader. <laughs> I'm actually hoping to take a step back. Look at the best teams in the National year. Hockey League this season. All of them have the proper leadership in place. Yeah, but because they're winning. Like, we attribute, we attribute leadership to winning. It's when not, the Blues were winning, we said, hey, that Alex Petrangelo, look at the w- leadership that he's got inside of that locker room. You remember when things were going bad, who we blamed? Alex Petrangelo. Because he's the guy that's wearing the C, and therefore he's the one that has to get everything fixed. You missed the playoffs but, last year with the Dallas Stars. Uh, and they are the one of the top teams in the Western Conference. This year, and they got the same core. They, but it, it's the same leadership group that's been in place, and the message continues to grow. Correct, you've got a different leadership got group there. No, you've got, got a different players, man. No, you've got a different leadership group in that room, and it's changed. It's transitioned over these years. You take a vocal player out who was willing to get in the faces of players and talk about them not performing the way that they need to, and then they go out and perform. Look at the play that Jordan Cairo had this season or last season. Yeah, it was a defensive liability, but it continued to perform in ways that it went the right direction. You lose a player like that in a group, it's been consistently bad this season with stretches of good. You've got to find the right guys that relay the right message in a locker room. Yeah, I I just think that the thing that changed for the Dallas Stars is that they got better players inside of that locker room. And when you have better players, you become a better team. 
They got the rookie that came in, and that's and like the only change. That's year. fine, like, but he's playing like third-line minutes for them, and he's performed. Jason th- Robertson had 110 points this year and got became a better player this year for them as well. Like I they, just disagree. They got better players. The West also got a little easier. Like they, they weren't a terrible team last year either. I I just I, I totally disagree with the notion that the thing that this team needs to make them suddenly a contender is more leadership. They've got guys in the locker room that can talk to one another. And when when you go into next year, what is the priority? The priority should be getting better hockey players. Like you don't want to bring bad dudes into the locker room. I totally agree with that. You don't want to bring in somebody that's just going to completely alter your culture. You have a good one here in St. Louis. I believe Justin Falk is a good leader. I believe that Braden Shin's a really good leader. I believe they have a lot of guys inside of that locker room that when given the role, they can be high-quality leaders. I think what they're missing is talent, man. I think this defensive core wasn't very good this year. I think they could use But it's the same defensive core as last year. For the most part, in last year, at the end of the season, that was the only time that we really saw them defend at a high level. And then in the playoffs, the reason why they were good is because they had Jordan Bennington standing on his head. They were not good in front of Ville Husso, and it But they were lost. good. Ville Husso was a liability in that game. Both of the, those things can be true. They, they were better defensively, but you look at the underlying numbers, and I, we tried to talk about this all offseason as to why both of us, Alex, were not in favor of them bringing back Nick Letty, is because there was nothing to buy into with the numbers other than simply... Ah, the goals against were pretty good, but everything else screamed, this is not sustainable. But we were against Nick Letty because we knew that Perron wasn't going to be coming back, and we knew the impact that David Perron had on that team. On the ice. I my, my There's reason, more off the ice than on the ice with that player. I disagree. I think that your power play took a significant step back this year because you didn't have the one-time shot. We talked about it. We've heard time. Perron on the opening drive weekly talk about how this team is not playing up to standards. Correct. And he was one of the best players on the ice, and he's saying that about his team. Totally Who's agree. been saying that this season about the Blues? Ryan O'Reilly was saying that for months Ryan to start O'Reilly would season. take the blame on himself. Which is what a good leader does. But you've, <laughs> had more play- you've had more players in that locker room this season say, I don't know what's going on. Whereas David Perron was very vocal about it. it. He knew what was going on, which is they weren't playing to the scheme. You can only so, say that so many times, though. This year, the reason why they didn't know what was going on is because they've seen all of those guys perform well. And then suddenly it wasn't working this year. Do you think Craig Berube would have told the fast lane that those two players need to take a step further into the leadership role if he felt like the leadership was in a good place? I don't know that those guys are where they need to be as leaders. I think that you do have great leaders inside of that locker room. And if they're looking for Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas to become the next core players of this team and five years down the road, they want Robert Thomas to take the role as being a captain over a Braden Chin, then yes, he does need to take steps as a leader inside of that locker room. I, I don't know that that's where they should be next year is with giving the, the captaincy to Robert Thomas or putting an A on Jordan Cairo's chest. I think you have leaders inside of that locker room now. And if you're trying to win right now, those leaders are probably the guys that were already the leadership core, specifically with Braden Shin on the the forward group and Justin Falk as a defenseman. You've also brought up a lot of the time. Jordan Bennington is one of the leaders inside of that locker room. I think you can make a strong case for that. I know it's not typical for a goalie to wear a, a letter in the NHL, but he's a guy that brings that fire that you've talked about a lot. And so I, I just refuse to believe that the reason why the blues were bad this year is because of a lack of leadership, because for the last four years, what we've for yeah four years what we've talked about with the blues is that the culture here is really really good 
and you remove one piece of that culture and suddenly it's just gone. If that is the case, then we overstated how good the culture was. And what truly mattered was David Perron is one of the best leaders in the history of the NHL. But it wasn't just, Maybe that's true. But it wasn't just one player that you took out of it. It's been a slow trickle where you've been eliminating vocal players in that locker room. You lost Alexander Steen. You lost Petrangelo. You lost a Jay Bomeister. Like, it's a slow trickle-down effect that was a lasting group that had the experience to win a but cup. But did they have good leadership last year? Yeah. And now they don't. I believe you lost one major piece of that leadership in David Perron. If that is the case... We overstated the leadership last year, and what they really had was an excellent leader in David Perron and a lot of guys that followed him. Yeah, and, and, and if that is true, then man, did we overstate the culture here in St. Louis? Or we overstated and, and the ability I, I not to bring back that. Perron? I don't believe that. Uh, it's not the culture that you're taking a shot at. It's it's what was in place and what they have now. And now you have a massive task in front of a group of players that has to get back to that culture. That's what Craig Berube said. We've lost the culture this season of what we've had. You lost it. And, and that's if that is exclusively attributable to one player walking out the door, then I overstated O'Reilly's presence as a leader. I overstated Braden Shin's presence as a leader. We all overstated how good that core group was as leaders inside of that locker room and I continue to refuse to believe that that is the case because I think Ryan O'Reilly deserves a ton of credit for what he did here as a leader in St. Louis and I think the same is true for David Perron and losing him I'm not trying to say that it didn't matter at all it did we talked about it at the time but I think sometimes we overstate the importance of the leadership inside of the locker room and understate the importance of, hey, you let a 25 goal scorer walk out the door. You let a guy that had the chemistry with Ryan O'Reilly on that top line that played exactly the style that Craig Berube wanted to walk out the door. And when that happens, it completely alters the way that the Blues are able to play. All right, let's get into something fun. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text Wait, line. This isn't fun for everybody? You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is PK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Count 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for one's gotta go. I promise we're all good in here. Alex left that segment. Said, guys, that was great. Loved that. Hey, if we could disagree, I love great radio, and that was great freaking radio. Let's go. Let's get into one's gotta go. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's gotta go. One's gotta go. Universe edition, I guess you could say. Universe? The Marvel Cinematic oh, Universe. Oh, I thought you, you meant like Milky Way. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not too What I, the hell? I, 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 I failed astronomy, so like, I'm out. Series edition is probably a better yeah. way to say, say Superhero. that. Superhero. Uh, Marvel, Star Wars, DC, or Harry Potter? Ooh, okay. Harry Potter, DC, Star Wars, or Marvel? Can Which I start this? Go? Is that okay? Yeah, I know what you're going to say. Do you? Yeah. What do you think I'm going to say? No, I want you to answer first. So Marvel's got to say, and Harry Potter's got to say, like me some Harry Potter. 
Harry Potter world, by the way. Really cool. I know. We, I was disappointed we didn't go there, but my girls are too young to understand I that. So BK we'll go next time. One of those time. Harry Potter, I don't know what they're called, robes. Well, he's already I, got no, the petite actually, glasses. He's like, I wore a custom made. Maximus Or custom. <laughs> with his little petite glasses. Maximus on. petite glasses. Yeah. That's how I picture you. Harry Potter world. Oh, so much fun. Come on, Carol. Let's go get a butterbean beer. Say Carol. No. No, it's Carol. Carol. Oh, I think it's Carol. Carol. My just Mickey Mouse voice doesn't really work. Uh, for me, the just the uh, DC's got to go. Not gonna oh, let me tell wow. my story, huh? No, nobody cares about your story. What was your story? I got distracted because I just pictured you wearing the Harry Potter. <laughs> no, Carol got us some custom-made uh, sweatshirts. Yeah. And uh, I'm a Ravenclaw. You look like a real. You look like a Hufflepuff. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means at all. It's just it's a fun word to say. T-bone. Which one's got to go? Can I switch my answer? I want to go to Star Wars because I forgot that, that I'd have to get rid of Batman. So I'll go it. Star Wars. I, was, I thought you hated Star Wars. That's why I thought that was going to be your answer. Yeah. Look, I've never even I've not read the Harry Potter books. I haven't seen any of the Harry Potter really? movies. Movies. Yeah. That's, there's a reason I didn't know the Maximus the first, whatever the his spells one, were. The first one came out when I was in grade school. So like, I don't need to see any of them to know that they would beat the DC universe because everything they've done. Now Dude, is but terrible. you're getting rid of Batman. I know, but I will live with myself by getting uh, rid of Batman. See, I can't get rid of Batman, man. I would, I would give up Star Wars every day of the week to watch at least second, the Dark Knight. That second Wonder Woman movie they made. Whoa, that oh, was bad. I, okay, I watched that on the plane. That's the DC universe. The Batman movies the are not Woman? DC universe. Yeah, I watched that yeah, on the. It is though. It's all DC. I get it, but it's not technically the thing. Dude, nobody wants to hear your story. All right, Maximus Disappearus. <laughs> <laughs> that one got Ryder. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, tell your story. The Wonder Woman movie sucks. That's basically my story. Uh, I am also <laughs> getting rid of Star Wars. Here's the problem. Their last three movies have sucked. One, yeah. of, my, one of my best friends is a, a really big Star Wars guy. Big Star Wars um, fan. He said he's not sure if Star Wars is great because we... if. If we love Star Wars because it's great or if Star Wars is great because we love it. And I think it's the latter. I think people like Star Wars and therefore they attribute greatness to it. Kind of like you do leadership to the blues. <laughs> so Shots fired. I'm going to go like with Star see, Wars. Like, not actually excellent, but we all enjoyed it as it was coming out. And therefore we now pretend as if it's excellent. Like the first three Star Wars were great. And then it just got lamer and lamer. And now Lizzo's in a Star Wars show. They like, what are we that doing? Was that, yeah, that was bad. Like, what are we doing? Jack Black is in Star Wars right now. Yeah. yeah. What are we doing? Can I be honest? Tenacious D should not be a walkie or a wookie or something like that. Not a walkie? big Jack Black guy. I'm not either. Uh, see, I'm I like I like Jack Black, but I like old Jack Black. Now Jack like Black. School of Rock, great movie. School Otherwise, of Rock, like Nacho Libre didn't do anything. Saving for me. Silverman. I actually kind of liked him in uh, the the Jungle um, Book, Jumanji uh, remakes. Couldn't think. I almost said Jungle Book and then Jungle which, Cruise, and none of these are going with here, Jack Black. We had a Jungle Book remake. We did. It was a live action. It was great. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Guy who made that. Iron Man made it. Oh, he's the guy making the main. One's got to go. We've gotten through one of these. Uh, one's got to go. Action Star Edition. Arnold, Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, or Mel Gibson. Oh, this is easy. Mel Gibson. I mean, there are some good melt, like losing Lethal Weapon stinks, but I, I, there are so many better movies from the Brave other three. Eh. There's better movies by the other three than Braveheart. I think I'm I mean, with, Braveheart's a good one. I think I'm with Alex here. I, I think it is Mel Gibson. I 
like when that name was on the list here, not gonna lie, I had to look it up to see who he was. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Mel Gibson really? has not been yeah. relevant since like, like 2005. I, I, I recognize. Have you Bruce seen a Willis. Bruce Willis movie? Yeah, I've seen Die Hard. Okay. Um, and then Sylvester Stallone, I've seen. Um, oh, why am I drawing a Rocky? Duh. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, I've seen Terminator. So, like Mel Gibson, like I know I've seen Braveheart, but like. I ha- if I have to look you up, it means you weren't that I mean, impressive th- for there's me. Just so. So, like, if it were to be narrowed down to the bottom two, it would be Bruce Willis versus Mel Gibson. And to me, Die Hard trumps anything Mel Gibson's done. Yeah, I actually agree with both of you. Uh, Mel Gibson doesn't deserve to be in here. I no. feel like you should almost replace him with Denzel. And or then John Travolta. John Travolta's sure. had some really good yeah. action films, too. That, I feel like this list was like three guys and one of these things does not belong. Yeah. And the thing that does not belong is well, Mel Gibson. It's kind of he- like the three of us and one of us doesn't belong. Next up, one's got to go weather edition. Cloudy, raining, sunny, or thunderstorms? I'll go raining. I hate everything about the rain, especially this time of the year because, man, it just ruins everything. When I get on a schedule wanting to cut your grass, now I got to wait three days, ruins softball, ruins the opportunity to be outside. I want to get rid of rains here. I'd get rid of thunderstorms. I don't mind just a rainy day. I'll see if I can handle a a couple of those. Yeah, see, on the opposite, if it rains, I want a thunderstorm. What? That yeah. is so bizarre. I, I hear a thunderstorm because it feels like they happen like late at night. And don't you like wake up to thunder and then it's like, oh, 3 a.m. Oh, now I can't go back to sleep. What, are you, what are you afraid of thunderstorms? It can be spooky, man. Especially when like my apartment rattles. That's a little unnerving. <laughs> be a problem with your apartment. Yeah. Especially when you're on floor two. Hey, BK's got a story. Come on, man. What do you got? Good cloudy day in the spring is great. Where it's warm, but the sun's not beating down yeah. on you. Like a nice 70 degree, a little bit of overcast, a light 5 to 10 mile per hour breeze. That's seltzer weather right there. Nothing better, really. Mm. That's running weather. Absolutely. It is running weather. Yes. Meanwhile, thunderstorms just ruin everything. (laughs) I've got a tree that is well over our house at this point. Oh, gosh. And I get concerned every time there's a thunderstorm that that tree's coming through our house. So I would prefer to not have uh, thunderstorms any longer. So that's the one that's got to go. All right. Coming up next, we'll hit the rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. And I'm Brandon Kylie. Well, today's show has been quite the adventure. And if you missed any of it, I would recommend checking it out on the podcast page. 101ESPN.com and the free 101ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Service. Cardinals back in action this weekend. Blues are officially done with their regular season, which means the season as a whole is finished. The Cardinals are taking on the Pirates for three more games. I was more hopeful about those three games prior to last night. Come on, man. Don't well, give up. The good news is they already went up against the Pirates' ace. So. Johan Oviedo. You want to pronounce Contreras' first name for me? Nope. Just Contreras. Ronzi Contreras. I apologize if I mispronounced that. Like run DNC. And Mitch Keller are the three starters that you're going up against. You got a few righties going on the mound for the Pirates. Any guesses on how many of these games the Cardinals win? 
I'll say two. Yes. I think they'll beat Johan Oviedo, and I think they'll beat Mitch Keller. And the guy that we've never heard of before, well, welcome to a shutout. some pretty good Contreras. stuff. Contreras is really good. Just I, like Vince Velasquez is good, huh? His yeah. results have not been good so no, far this year, but he is talented. Vince. Yeah, same with Vince. Yeah. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with two as well. I, I It's early in the season, so I'm not making too much of a split with the Pirates. I, I think if this was in July, you should take three or four. But I, I think they were able to beat Oviedo today. They're familiar with him. I think they can get to Mitch Keller because they should be familiar with him, and they should be familiar with Contreras because I think they faced him last year. It just depends on what Contreras do you get. Do you get the Contreras who's wild, doesn't have command, then they should be able to beat him. But if he's on his A game, his stuff's good enough to be, like they think he's the ace of their team moving forward, then then I think they'll struggle. Rowansi is the way that you pronounce his first name. I apologize for mispronouncing it. Um, I think you sweep him the rest <laughs> of the way. Three out of three. Cardinals are coming in on Monday. Just like you said, four out of four. Feeling good. And they are going to go up against the Arizona Diamondbacks on Monday with Jack Flaherty on the mound looking for a four-game winning streak. That is what I expect going into the weekend. We'll discuss that on Monday. Can I read one of great texts before we wrap up? It's a great Harry Potter nickname for BK. Maximus Adams Apolis. It's phenomenal. Props to you, text line. You made my day going into the weekend. Really looking forward to a two-day break from the two of you. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. Fastlane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.